0: Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things getting down, a lot of things that we need to discuss today. I hope everybody is safe, I hope everybody is happy, I hope everybody is doing what they need to do to be safe, I hope everybody is being responsible, I hope everybody is listening to the experts, I hope everybody is doing what they need to do so we can get back to some type of normalcy in life sooner rather than later. Man, on this podcast today I'm going to be mainly talking about what's happening as far as the sports leagues are concerned. Tom Brady gave an interview to Howard Stern and I was like, oh my goodness, the real Tom Brady has showed up and this is so interesting and this is so unbelievable and this, that and the other, man. I'm going to say that as far as talking about Tom Brady in terms of what he said, I'm going to leave that for later on in the podcast because mainly he's talking about the situation where the season's going to be happening. I don't know if the season's going to be happening as far as football is concerned. Or I don't know if it's going to be starting on time. Or I don't know if they're going to play a whole 16 games. Or I don't know exactly what's going to happen in terms of the NFL. So for me, with Tom Brady going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, that's big. Yeah, that's a new story, especially in sports. But as of right now, I kind of gave a couple of podcasts ago my thoughts and feelings about what's going to be happening with Tom Brady going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And now it's just a matter of kind of filling time. So again, Tom Brady opening up, Tom Brady showing the world what he's all about, going on Howard Stern and cursing and doing some things and talking about his personal life and then taking people taking that away and talking about, well, the shackles have finally been let, you know, it's off Tom Brady and he's no longer with the New England Patriots. He's no longer being stifled by Bill Belichick. So now he has been liberated. Tom Brady has been liberated, and now we can go ahead and talk and say whatever he wants to. When he never had that opportunity to do that with Bill Belichick, and he was just licking his chops to finally get the opportunity to do that. Nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. I will talk about that later on in the podcast. But I want to begin the podcast today, Wendell's World and Sports, with your host, Wendell Wallace. Hello. About this idea that baseball has about starting the season, because we get... You know, and he, when we go on these podcasts, it's always about any news when the leagues are going to be reopening again, when they're going to be starting. Is the NBA going to finish this season? What about the National Hockey League? Is baseball going to start on time? What about college sports? What about the UFC? Dana White buying an island, really, the put on UFC 249, and then Khabib is not going to show up for it? Jeez, oh, I'll get on to that at another podcast. That'll probably be my opening for the next podcast. But getting back to the podcast today. When are the leagues going to resume? When are the leagues going to start? Well, baseball has this idea about starting in May, possibly May. Best case scenario, May, realistically June. This was according to ESPN's Jeff Passing. He said, Major League Baseball and his players are increasingly focused on a plan that could allow them to start the season as early as May. Say what? The plan has the support of high-ranking federal public health officials, Believe the league can safely operate under those proposed conditions. Hip, Parade hip, the outline. The outline basically is that all thirty teams are going to be playing at stadiums with no fans, of course, in the Phoenix, Arizona area, including the Arizona Diamondbacks Chase Field, 10th Spring Training facilities, and perhaps other nearby fields. Coaches, players coaching staff, other essential personnel would be sequestered at local hotels where they would live in relative isolation and travel only to and from the stadium. Not They wouldn't be doing that for a week. They wouldn't be doing that for a month. This is for the entire season. And you know that baseball is going to try to fit in all 162 games. Now, the games, again, would be played without any fans in the stadium. So, that for, so really, for Tampa Bay and Oakland, it would kind of be like playing a home game but players would reportedly be isolated from their own families at the beginning of the season and possibly the entire season. And depending upon what happens with the coronavirus at the beginning of May, that's when you know people would get together or the teams would undergo a two to three week training camp in Arizona as people and players would get tested, protocol to be out there and then go ahead and they would be starting sometime in May, even though the realistic best case scenario would be for the season to start in June. So can this really work? I doubt it, I don't know. This is a situation again. I don't think that the Major League Baseball are thinking about the players first, or excuse me, are thinking about the fans first. I think this is a, just a way for the players to try to get paid for the owners trying to not to lose as much money as possible. But, and I, and I get it, hey man, I get it. Businessmen, they wanna make some money, I, I get it. But I just take a look at this and you know, from the surface it looks great. In terms of, okay, you have 30 teams, half the teams will be staying at this hotel or this resort or whatever, and then they just go to the games, they play the games in front of nobody, then they go back to the hotel room. It's almost like, again, they're being sequestered. It's almost like living in an upscale concentration camp, if you really think about it. But again, can this really work? I don't know. I mean, this is more than just players that are involved with this plan. And I understand because they'll be playing in Arizona, because of the conditions, and because of... Speaking of this, just in case someone does come down with the coronavirus, they can go ahead and get him off the roster and then bring somebody back on the roster while the person who was tested for the virus can go ahead and get quarantined for 14 days. So because of that, there's going to be more, the, the, the rosters are going to be expanded, but it's more than just that, man. If you're talking about what they're trying to do, this involves more than just the players that they have to make sure that they're clean or make sure that, you know, they're doing the right thing as far as dealing with the coronavirus. We're talking about groundskeepers. We're talking about the people who clean up the stadium. We're talking about the hotel workers. We're talking about people who are going to be transporting the players to the ballpark and back. We're talking about the ball boys. We're talking about the umpires. We're talking about the cameramen. We're talking about is there going to be any media that's going to be covering this. Are the games that are going to be on Fox or ESPN? Are they going to have broadcasters doing this? I mean, what exactly does all of this entail? Because if these things are going to be in play, then you're talking about more than just the players that you're going to have to be worried about in terms of these guys coming down with the coronavirus. You're speaking also about a situation where the batting coach, you're talking about the manager. So none of these guys are 18, 19, 20, 25-year-old elite athletes. We're talking about guys who have bad sleeping habits, guys who have bad habits in terms of taking care of themselves. Are they going to be able to... Are they going to be able to? I guess maybe the word "survive" is maybe a little bit too strong, but are they going to be able to be able to be functional for the entire period of time with the way that the league wants them to be structured? Not again, not just for a week or a month or two, but we're talking about for the entire season. In everything that goes into it, when we're talking about this virus, and we're talking about social distancing, and we're talking about not being in large groups, and when we're talking about all of that, again, how in the world is Major League Baseball going to pull this off? Well, yeah, okay, the players can be sequestered, the players can be in different hotels, and they can only go, I mean, Really? You really think that you're going to be seeing the best of Major League Baseball if the players are going to be under those type of conditions? Are they going to be able to train? Are they going to be able to see their families? Are they going to be able to keep their sanity? I mean, hell, we have half of America right now going nuts, and we've been self-quarantined for, what, three, four weeks? And we already have people losing their minds. Could you imagine doing this for another three, four, five months in the conditions that Major League Baseball wants its players to be in? In terms of only being within, I don't know, maybe they stay in a resort. I know the fancy hotel, but are they going to be able to use the gym? Are they going to be able to use the pool? I mean, where exactly are they going to eat? And if they're going to be eating anywhere, is it going to be takeout? Is it going to be, I feel like I say takeout, is it going to be fast food? I mean, exactly what is that going to be? They're not going to be able to have their chefs or their nutritionists. And if they are going to bring the nutritionists, those people are another group of people that are going to have to be accounted for if they're going to be going ahead and taking part and partaking in all of this. So I don't know. I mentioned before about the home plate umpires just in in the game itself. So we know what the home plate umpire, the way he crouches right, right over the catcher and right next to the batter. Well, that's gotta be all right because that's definitely not six feet away. And even with the batter and the catcher, the way the bat when the batter steps into the batter's box, The the distance between him and the catcher, that's not six feet. So exactly, what are you going to do about that? When the pitcher needs to have a conference with either the catcher or the pitching coach, you're not going to be able to have that because you have to keep social distancing. What about the players sitting in the dugouts? Six feet, they're not going to be able to do that. So people are going to be, what, sitting in the stands? People are going to be sitting outside the dugout sitting with those who are sitting in the bullpen? I mean, how exactly does this work? When the pitching coach comes out to make a pitching change, what's the guy going to do? Stop six feet and have the pitcher toss the ball to him as he runs off the field? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Breaking up a double play, turning a double play. Is the first baseman going to be able to keep the runner on first, to hold the runner on first? Because that's going to be violating the six inch rule. It's it just, to me, there's just too many things. There's just too many variables that come into this that makes it feasible for these guys to pull this off. What about the players, again, touching their faces or touching the ball? What about exchanging high fives or anything like that? That's going to be out, and that might be the easy part, but still, it's just the the distancing, the the gathering in large groups, that's just not going to work. And as I mentioned before, the media and television People who are gonna be at the game, they're gonna to have to abide by the same rules that the players. So for instance, if they're gonna be calling the game, are they gonna to have to be sequestered just like the players? Is that gonna be something that's gonna be copacetic? Same thing with the folks at Fox and ESPN and others, the baseball network? I mean, I don't I just don't know how this is gonna go. And then after everything like that is thrown into the soup, then you're also gonna be talking about players playing their summer baseball in Arizona. I spent four long, hard, ridiculous, lonely, terrible, miserable years in Phoenix, Arizona. And one of the things that made it so miserable and horrible, other than the fact there was absolutely no black folks out there, from what I saw, was the fact that, damn, the summers were brutal. Now, I know it's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. don't you live in Las Vegas? What's that exactly? What is that? The high... During the summer in Las Vegas, it's like 75 degrees. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, but I'm, you know, I've lived in Arizona where it is hot. I mean, real hot. Vegas is hot too. No doubt about it. But damn, guess where I'm not going to be during the months of June, July, and August. Where, where, Where have I not been on a consistent basis for the last, I don't know, 20 plus years? Living first in Arizona, then living the last 15 in Las Vegas, Nevada. You know one place I'm not? In the summertime, outside. Because it's hot as fuck. And this nonsense about, well, you know, it's a dry heat, no big deal. You know, I've, I've heard this before. Growing up in the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, best place to live, best place to raise your family, the best place to live, period. You know, I grew up in humidity. I grew up when it's 93 degrees and, you know, the humidity is high and you sweat and you got the bugs and all of those type of things. I, I've been through that. Believe me, hey man, and to each his own. Believe me, I would take heat and humidity because I still go back, of course, not right now because of the virus, but on a consistent basis throughout the years, during the summer, I go back to see the family back in uh, D.C. So I'm there when the temperature is hot. I've been there in June. I've been there in August. I've been back to the East Coast during those times. And believe me, it ain't nothing like a hot day out here on one of those, what is it, dry heat days when the temperature is like 115 out, there in, out here in Las Vegas. No comparison whatsoever. And we're also speaking about one of the advantages I found living first in the East Coast and then moving out here and living in the desert, as I mentioned before, first in Arizona for four years and then for the last 15 out here in Las Vegas or 16. I don't know. I got out here in 2003. Shit, 17 years. Ain't that something? But for the last, what, 21 years then? One thing that I've noticed is that, guess what? Out here in the summer, just like in Phoenix, Arizona, it does not cool down. If the high for the day in Phoenix in July is going to be like 110, guess what the temperature is at night? 104, 102, 103. It's still hot as fuck. At least in the East Coast, At least when the humidity goes down and the temperature goes down to where it's like 78, 82, 83 in the summer, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's absolutely beautiful. It's absolutely perfect when you're speaking about that. Here, there's no relief. Here, there's no opportunity to hide in the shade. Here, there's nothing. You're in a perpetual oven. Just if you want to get an idea of what it's like to be living in a desert, do this. Set your oven to about 350 degrees. Turn it on for about 3 or 4 minutes, open up the open up the drawer or whatever, open up the whatever to the oven and then get close to it and feel that heat. That's what it's like living in Las Vegas. That's what it would be like living in Arizona playing baseball or going outside for a long extended periods of time. You're talking about, yeah, you know what? When I was living in the East coast or when I was in the East coast, you know, there was a situation where as soon as as I would go out, my shirt would get drenched and I would be sweating and everything. Let me tell you something. When it's 111 and 112 and 108 out here in Vegas, despite it being a dry heat, you sweat, you sweat, you get hot. It's uncomfortable. So my main reasoning and my main talking point for all this is that these teams are going to be playing baseball in the summer out here in Arizona in the temperature that they're playing in that they would be playing in where the average temperature in June is 104 the average average temperature in July is 106 the high for August is somewhere around 117 the high for June is somewhere around 122 I've been out here when it's been 120 121 degrees that's hot Dry heat or no dry heat. That's hot. That's really hot. So now you're expecting, and it's not like a situation where you are gonna have all those games being played at eight, nine, ten o'clock at night, uh, Pacific standard time. You're going to have to have some games where they're going to be playing one o'clock in the afternoon, four o'clock in the afternoon, especially if you're going to try to appease the East coast crowd, which means that guess what? Arizona, they're going to be three hours behind what's going to be going on in New York or in the East coast. So guess what? If the Yankees are going to be playing the Red Sox out here at Chase Field in Arizona, that game is going to be starting at 4 p.m. in the afternoon in the summer in Arizona. That's fucking hot. That's really hot. So are the players going to be down with this? Now, I know at first you're sitting there talking about, well, are the players really willing to be giving up millions upon millions of dollars with your paycheck? I mean, these guys aren't. Like NBA players, where you have a plethora of of uh, major league baseball players having their "quote unquote" brands. I mean, there's nobody in the there's nobody in major league baseball that has the marketing or has the advertising or the uh, the uh, the advertisers of someone like a Steph Curry or a LeBron James or anybody like that to where the income can be supplemented just a little bit if they decide not to play this season. Most of these guys don't have the ability to do that. There's some who make a pretty penny or a nice penny um, advertising things. But for the most part, nah, These guys rely on their paychecks for the majority of their income. Are those guys willing to give that up? At first, you would be like, heck no, man. If I'm scheduled to make 10, 15, $20 million and that's where the bulk of my income comes from, no, I don't I don't have the ability to go ahead and take a year off because I need that money. But then again, you're asking a lot from these players. It's Basically, again, be sequestered You know, basically be isolated. Again, basically be an upscale concentration camp where they can't go anywhere. They can't do anything. They can't go down to Babes Cabaret down to North Scottsdale or they can't go down to Babes Cabaret in Scottsdale and check out the scenery. I mean, these guys have to be hanging around each other. No females whatsoever. What about the uh, PR person who has to travel with the team? What about those type of people? Are they going to have to be subjugated to the same thing? And are they going to be wanting to do that? That's just... To me, there's just too many hurdles. There's just too many obstacles where people are going to have to deal with. Where ultimately, I just don't think that's going to happen. I just don't think that is possible. I mean, hell, Mike Trout and his wife are expecting their first child in August. Is he willing to give up the birth of his first child to be playing on a Saturday afternoon in 115 degrees for the for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim? Is there any way that Mike Trout can say, "Hey, look, man, I'm Mike Trout. I'm." Don't have any symptoms. I'm asymptomatic or whatever with the coronavirus. I'm cool. I'm good with it. I'm going to be going home to see the birth of my child. And I'll see, see you all th- uh, tomorrow or the next day or whatever. Can he actually get away with this? We're all, we are speaking about Mike Trout after all. But is he willing to sacrifice that if they say, no, you can't do that? And, of course, what's going to happen if one or two players come down with the coronavirus? And I know the... the I know the... The situation is that, well, you know, you get rid of them and then you bring in another player. If one player goes ahead and gets the coronavirus, that means that whole team has to be quarantined for 14 days. And the team that they played against has to be quarantined for 14 days. Then what are you going to do? Then what's going to happen? Are you going to delay everything and then have those guys stay out there and stay under those conditions even longer than they have to? Believe me, you won't have to be worried about rainouts. That definitely ain't going to happen in the summertime in the desert. So you won't have to worry about that. Forget all this nonsense about the monsoons come through. And I've lived out in the desert again for twenty-something years. Very, 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 very rarely does it rain. It never rains in Southern California. It never rains in Las Vegas. It never rains in Phoenix, Arizona. It never rains in Southern California that's what they told me they were lying they actually meant las vegas and phoenix but uh yeah man i don't i don't know how to do that i don't even know how that would look and then you're speaking about situations where they try to get around the social distancing and all of this stuff we're talking about maybe not having catchers maybe not having umpires maybe i don't i don't even know how this would work and again i understand that just this is just an outlier and moving forward we don't know exactly what's going to be happening we don't know exactly where we're going to be as a country as a world in terms of what the coronavirus is going to be looking at i'm I'm quite sure the way things are going right now i would guesstimate that i don't know what we're speaking about maybe august maybe september the last thing that we need to be doing in terms of well we need to hurry up and get these guys I I also heard this too that the protocol needs to be put in place. That these guys need to go ahead and get tested. Man, fuck Major League Baseball for having those guys to go out and, and, and get tested with such expediency. Nah, man, to hell with that, man. Let's go out here and get some folks out here who are trying to make this place a better place. I mean, we're talking about the firefighters. We're talking about the policemen. We're talking about, you know, folks who keep us safe. We're talking about, you know, those who work at the Bomba Pop stores stores. We're talking about those who need the income. Let's see exactly what we can do to get those guys, to get those people, to get those men and women situated right in terms of who's positive, who's negative, and what we need to do with that. Man, let's get New York City under control. Let's get Los Angeles, California under control. Let's get the essential people who need to be working. Let's get the doctors and the nurses and those in the healthcare who are taking care of these folks. Man, let's, let's, let's figure out what we can do to make sure they are okay, or they are fine, or they are healthy on a consistent basis more than trying to figure out the, what we need to do to get these baseball players ready so they can go ahead and play what seven innings or eight innings and nine innings in front of zero people when the temperature outside is 118 degrees playing against some team when we might not have a catcher we might not have a we might not have a umpire what about the umpires itself what are we gonna do with them you're just gonna ha- just have zero what about close plays on first base what about those who are in charge of instant replay. There's just too many moving parts. There's just too many moving pieces for this to work. And again, look, man, I mean, I'm one of these cats where it's like, man, show me some sports. I get it. I understand it. Especially if, say, for instance, we come back at the end of April and then, you know, Governor Sisolak out here is talking about we need to go another 30 days. We need to go another 60 days or whatever because... Really, the cases of corona out here in Clark County are rising. The death toll in Clark County because of the virus is rising. So I'm going to go under the assumption that when this whole thing is reviewed at the end of April, that we're going to probably be self-quarantined again. They'll probably start off for two weeks. But something tells me, man, it's going to be like the middle of July, maybe the end of July at the very best. That there might be some lacks coming up with this self quarantine. So, what exactly is that going to do? I mean, do we even know within the Phoenix area what are the numbers? To make this work in terms of this coronavirus, how many if are the cases going up? Are the cases going down? What's about the testing for the residents of Phoenix, Arizona, and in the in the neighborhoods beyond, and the communities beyond? What what is going on about that? Shouldn't we be more concerned instead of dealing with the ball players instead of dealing with a thousand baseball players? Shouldn't we be dealing with a thousand social workers? Shouldn't we be dealing with a thousand bus drivers? Shouldn't we be dealing with a thousand uh, construction workers? Shouldn't we be more concerned about getting the test out again to healthcare providers and workers before we start worrying about some baseball players so they can go ahead and play baseball again. To me, it's just it just doesn't make any sense to me. And I would love to just believe me. I would love to do something else rather than watch reruns of this week of baseball and I dream of genie and crime and justice shows and and all of those things and watching Ken Burns's baseball and PBS's Frontline and Watching anything from the History Channel and watching some Bill Curtis uh, shows and doing something else. I would love to have live sports. Everybody is bringing up all of this, all of these scenarios. Everybody's in their time of being sequestered and really not doing anything. They're they're coming up by watching all of these old baseball games or these old basketball games and football games and such. And I'm like, man, I don't want to watch that nonsense, man. I don't want to watch that garbage. You know why? Because when I'm watching, when I finish watching it, then I want to watch the real thing. I don't want to watch any old game from the NBA right now. You know why? Because I want to watch what's going on in the NBA right now. And it only whets my thirst to go ahead and watch a real NBA basketball game. But unfortunately, there's nothing going on in terms of that is concerned. And then I start thinking about, damn, what about the Clippers and the Lakers rivalry? Damn, what about the situation with with LeBron James? If the NBA season is canceled, that's another missed opportunity that I have seeing one of the greatest basketball players who ever lived. This is another opportunity, though. Or this is an opportunity I would miss to see a great player on the horizon, Giannis Adetokounmpo. I want to see how this all plays out. And hey, I get it. I'm not one of those who are in favor of having any type of sports being played without any type of fans. It just wouldn't make sense. It just wouldn't be right. It would just be bastardized. I don't want, I don't want that to happen. But, man, I, I miss the NBA. Man, I, I miss what's going I miss the fact that the sports world has virtually stopped. I'm going to miss the fact that I'm not going to be able to see the NFL draft the way it normally should be. It seemed like it was going to be one hell of a production out here in Las Vegas. Having the having the prospects being, what, taken across, taken across a, on a gondola or some bullshit like that. I mean, I was looking forward to all of that. And that was not going to happen. But, man, safety first. Safety first. When I come back or when the sports leagues come back, I want them to come back for good. And I I want them to be playing in front of people. And I want the records to be legit. And I don't want any type of, well, this, and asterisk, and for argument's sake, we need to do this. One of the biggest arguments in sports, as you know, is who's better, LeBron James or Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan or LeBron James, blah, blah, blah. Everything, as far as that argument is concerned, I mean, they use every single thing. LeBron James is going to miss a real opportunity to go ahead and win an NBA championship, his fourth this season, if the NBA decides to not resume the season. And if they do resume the season, say, for instance, in June or July, and the Lakers and LeBron wins a sort of jaded type of championship, the way things are going, well, then in the argument of who's greater, Michael Jordan or LeBron James, well, LeBron James has four championships and Michael Jordan has six if they, if the NBA went ahead and played the season. Well, you know what the Jordan heirs, you know what the Jordan sheep are going to say. No, the fourth championship doesn't count because, as you know, they took a break and they came back late and it was kind of hokey and it was kind of ridiculous and they didn't have... They, they weren't playing in front of the home crowd and they were playing on a neutral court in front of nobody and this, that, the other. So I want it to be done right. I want everything to be done right. And the biggest thing is that I don't care if you're talking about the NBA, the NHL, the return of Major League Baseball. They want to have this in June. They want to have this in May, whatever. Unless you get some comprehensive testing, not just for ball players but for everybody, then No. No. This shouldn't be happening. And unless you can have it to where we could be pulling people in the stands to be watching these games, you can have the broadcasters, you can have the beat writers, you can have the media following, doing the interviews after the game and all of the, the press conferences, until it is back for me. Now, this is just for me. Maybe I'm in the more minority about this. I don't know. But until you can have it back to normal, stay away. that means there's going to be no sports until the year 2021, which equals another eight months, it's going to be tough. It's going to suck. It's going to be horrible. But you know what? If we can get through it, if it means that's what it means, then let's do it, man. Because I'm not about to bastardize any of these sports by putting into something that is just a caricature of itself. Wait, be patient. It's going to suck. But you need to do what you need to do. I want to see my sports. I want to see Major League Baseball. I want to see the NBA. I want to see all of these games played, played legitimately 100%. Anything less, not interested in. those World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss today, what's going down in the world, what's going down in the world of sports. As I mentioned before, the big talk everybody's talking about, when are these leagues going to come back? When are we going to resume the NBA and the NHL and As I mentioned before in the first segment, I want to see these games back when they need to be back 100% in terms of the crowd being in the stands, in the stadiums, in the arenas, when everything is cool, when everything is copacetic, when we don't have to be talking about every 15, 20 minutes about the possibility of some guy catching a virus, or what's a backup plan, or what's a plan B or a plan C if, heaven forbid, someone gets the virus and we have to shut down things again. I don't want to hear any of that. Give me, and if that means we don't, Start playing sports again. And that, if that means that everything is on hiatus until 2021, then that's what we got to do. Let's just get through this as best as we can. Now, on Sunday, no, on Saturday, the piece of shit that we have in the in the White House right now held a conference call with many of the major sports league commissioners to express his desire for sports to return. His, his guesstimation, his estimation, his hope is sometime by late summer. And he said on the call that he's hopeful that the NFL season will open on time, which I mentioned before is in early September. And he urged the NFL to continue with plan for its virtual NFL draft again, which is going to be on April 23rd to April 25th. And he also praised the commissioners for their outreach and support during the pandemic and urged them to continue. Very interesting, just to kind of get off track just for a quick second. It's interesting, we're talking about now where the deaths of Americans of this virus is somewhere around 11,000. Have you heard once in one of these rambling, buffoonish press conferences that this piece of shit gives? Had you ever heard him once say, you know what, I'm sorry for those who have died or my hearts go out or this country is going to wrap its red, white, and blue flag around those who have lost their loved ones because of this insidious virus, and we're going to do everything that I can. And even if he's insincere, even if he's not genuine, even if he does what he's always going to be doing, lying, even if he sat there and gave some bullshit, like, you know, sitting up at night, it really bothers me, and I'm having a real hard time in terms of coping with the fact that we're losing so many Americans, and it keeps me up at night, and it keeps me wandering around the halls because I'm just so concerned, and I'm so heartbroken, and I'm so saddened by the deaths that have happened in this country that we live in, this wonderful, great, fantastic, diverse country that we live in, that I'm just just going to try to do, again, everything humanly possible that I can to make sure that we get through this. I'm going to be the guy that's going to make sure that every I is dotted, every T is crossed, and everything humanly possible is going to be done so we can return to life as normal as soon as possible. And do you think that he would have a shred of decency? you think that he would be just have enough, just a little bit of, uh, just a speck of character that have someone write something like that for him so he can get to these press conferences instead of talking about his fucking ratings or instead of talking about how he's number one on Facebook, how it's all about him? Do you think if he's going to sit there and talk about how great he is, about how wonderful he is, could you at least, one of his minions, one of the dopes that follow this guy that's in charge of writing the scripts, do you think that maybe you could implore this idiot that he could fucking come up to the podium and maybe say, you know what, this has really been wearing on me. I'm a guy who loves every American citizen, and when one dies, and when one gets sick, it just just heartbreaks me to the, to the utmost, and I'm going to see what I can do to get things back on track. Do, do you think that he would have just a shred of decency to actually do this? No, because for that fucking motherfucker, it's all about him, him, and him. But then again, I digress back on what I was talking about before. So when... The president is talking about trying to get the NFL back up and running by the beginning of the season, which is September 9th. And then when that doesn't happen, he's going to see what he can do to get the season, hopefully get the season started up again by October 11th and then maybe December and it all depends. He just keeps moving the bar. He just keeps kicking the can down the road. So I don't know. I don't know. Some organizations and sports leagues have already adjusted their calendars. For instance, if you take a look at the golf, the PGA, The governing bodies have rescheduled the Masters Tournament, the United States Open, the PGA Championship, and they canceled the fourth major championship, which is the British Open. The WNBA has already postponed the start of the regular season, which was to begin on May 15th. So for those who are sitting there talking about, I know that for the month of April, it's like, let's try to get through this month, and then we'll see where we're going to be standing. We'll see where, what Things or what, what we need to do to move forward at the beginning of May, well, at least for the WNBA, and this is for the NBA also, the league has already postponed the start of the regular season, which was to begin on May 15th, and then we're talking about Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner's discussing the possibility of, you know, we'll go ahead and see where we stand on May 1st, and we're not going to make any type of decisions until May 1st. Well, if the WNBA has already canceled their season on May 15th, and you say you're going to give us a definitive answer on where the season's going to be going, whether it can be salvaged or not on May 1st, then it kind of looks to me that either you're going to have to kick the can and say, we'll revisit this again at the beginning of June, or you're just going to have to say, you know what, the season is over for the... 2019-2020 2019-2020 season, and then we'll move on for there. But, you know, right now we're kind of focused on football. The draft is coming up soon, and it's kind of awkward. It's kind of strange to kind of talk about this because we still, if you listen to those who talk about what's happening in the NFL and the draft and everything else, it always goes on the assumption that you're listening to what these teams are going to do. It's almost like they're just going on business as normal when we're speaking about where what player is going to be going where and the trades and everything is the draft stock of this quarterback or this running back or this wide receiver or this linebacker moving up or moving down or all of these things, despite the fact that what we have going out in the real world right now, it almost seems like those who talk about the NFL, whether it be on a podcast, whether it be on the radio, whether it be on series, whether it be on television, whether it be on cable, whether it be in print, whether it be a blogger, everybody is on the assumption for the most part where the season is going to be starting on time, or at the very least, this is going to be a situation where the season is going to be maybe starting maybe sometime on October, but there's this discussion where we're speaking about the draft and these free agent acquisitions where everything is going to be back to normal, and we don't know. We have no idea. There is a serious concern. If you're a football fan, both college and pro like I am right now, that again, we're not going to be seeing the NFL until 2021. Now, whether that be in January of 2021, whether that be, I don't know, maybe have a lessened season and maybe started a little bit earlier, like around, I don't know, maybe where the XFL was supposed to be just to try to get some season in. Or maybe we're talking about, you know, just canceling an entire season and starting it back up again in 2021. And I don't even want to get that far down the road because we don't know what's going to happen, but just to let your mind wander just for a little bit, go down a different avenue, just imagine, just think about what exactly is going to happen to the NFL if the season is going to be canceled. What does that mean? What What does it mean for college football, for instance, if the season's canceled? It's, again, let's make sure, let, let, let's just play the game to where, or let's play this guessing game as to what happens if the NFL and college football don't have a season for the year of 2020. What's going to happen going down the road? Now, let's just go on the assumption that, I don't know, in the spring of 2021, let's just play worst case scenario. The spring of 2021 is finally there. It's finally at a circumstance to where fans can go back into the stadiums and it's no big deal and we can somewhat get back to life as being normal because finally we we found a vaccine to have everybody be tested or to have everybody just like a flu shot. So let's just say, for instance, that life doesn't resume to being normal again until March or April of the year 2021. And I know that's a long, long, long way down the road. I don't want to think about it. But like I said before, I'm just playing the worst case scenario game, especially if the piece of shit that we have in the office right now gets elected for four more years. Let's just cross our fingers by the year April of 2021 that we still have a civilization to deal with. If the worst case scenario happens and number 45 is reelected. So. Let's just go ahead and think about that. What exactly is going to happen to the NFL season moving forward if there is no season for 2020? What's going to be happening with college football? What's going to be happening with the recruiting? What's going to be happening as far as the NFL with the NFL draft if nothing happens? What's going to be happening to the contracts? What's going to be happening to the players? What's going to be becoming of Tom Brady, who at the time will be Turning 44 years old at the start of the 2021 season, what's going to be become of uh, Drew Brees or Ben Roethlisberger, who is advancing in age and might only have a few years left? If you eliminate one of the, this upcoming season, what's exactly going to happen? What is the league going to look like? What are contracts going to look like? What are free agency? What free agency is going to look like? It's, I, I can understand because of those questions that the owners and the players are hoping, are praying. That we can start the season, that the NFL can start the season on a regular, you know, in September and move on. But I don't know, man. I don't see it. And again, I'm guessing the NFL, if they have to play in front of empty stadiums, the majority of folks who watch the NFL games or the NFL fans, the majority of them aren't season ticket holders. The majority of them aren't going to be going to watch an NFL football game in person. So maybe it's a situation where, you know, we're so football crazy that, hey, we'll watch a football game. We'll watch an NFL game in in an empty stadium. It doesn't matter to us. For the most part, we would like to have it be normal as usual. But if we have to take it this way, it's better than not having any football at all. That's both in the NFL and college football. But as I mentioned before, the, the draft is going to go on. The NFL draft is going to go on April 23rd, April 25th by... Video conference and the NFL really get this. The NFL has been working to test internet connections and install safeguards to ensure that technology and technological technological issues, excuse me, don't result in major problems such as missed picks or insufficient time to make a trade. I mean, wouldn't you think, number one, that you could just sit there and say, you know what, we're billionaires; we have the technology; we can get this done. But just in case. We do have a cell phone. We do have text messaging. We do have a call in case of emergency type of deal. I mean, isn't there something in terms of a plan B, C, and D that could be implemented, that is being implemented by these franchises to where if something does go wrong, if they do have technological issues, that something could be done to make sure that the pick is in on time, that there's no hanky-panky, that there's no tomfoolery going around? so that's one thing where it's kind of like guys don't don't sweat this too much you can sweat the technique but don't sweat this too much so again this folk the games are focused on starting when the season starts when it's supposed to start on september 10th now some owners are saying that there's a good chance the international games in london and new mexico city are going to be moved back to the united states good news i guess for the Jacksonville Jaguars, maybe the Las Vegas Oakland Raiders, but one owner raised the possibility that the season could be reduced from 16 games to 10 games. And the NFL's chief medical officer, this guy's name is Dr. Alan Stills, he says, quote, as long as we're still in a place where when a single individual tests positive for the virus that you can have a quarantine every single person who was in contact with them in any shape, form, or fashion, then I don't think you can begin to think about reopening a team sport because we're going to have positive cases for a very long time. Uh-huh. Again, so what exactly does that mean for the NFL starting on time? What do these prognostications mean for the NFL going forward i mean we could be taking a look at a whole new way maybe not the basic foundation they're still going to be tackling they're still going to be blocking they're still going to be pass catching they're still going to be running the football they're still going to be field goal attempts the the, the 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 nooks and crannies and the intricacies and the foundation of the game is going to be the same but i'm just terms of moving forward as i mentioned before with the nfl draft with the nfl free agency with the nfl salary cap with the way the players are getting played, are getting paid all of these things Moving forward, if there's no season for 2020, it's going to be interesting. It's really going to be interesting. And I mentioned before about the NBA, hopefully, maybe, possibility, and they were taking a look at China to see how this could be done, because China was thinking about reopening their basketball leagues by putting teams in basically two locations and doing the same thing that baseball wants to do with their league in terms of the only thing that they would do was they would go to the basketball arenas and they would play and then they would go back to their sequestered hotels or wherever and stay there and that would be the only thing and the NBA is thinking well maybe just to finish the season maybe we could do something like that we could be doing it in say for instance Las Vegas and there with the scenario or the possibility or the thought process that the nba the 30 franchises could be held up in, say the mgm grand or the mandalay bay and maybe go ahead i mean we've got arenas out here where you could be playing in casinos you could be playing in the mgm grand you could be playing in the mandalay bay you could be playing at the t-mobile arena you could be playing i mean we're talking about basketball here so you could pick any number of places to where you could have these guys play basketball, and then as soon as they're done playing basketball, come back to wherever they're staying, whatever hotel, casino, that they would be staying, and that's the way that they could finish the season. That way, do the playoffs, do the championship series, all in this one location. It would be a miniature, miniaturized version of what baseball wants to do in terms of their plan to open up the season. And I went down by the strip. There ain't nothing. It's a ghost town. From Las Vegas Boulevard and Tropicana, where the MGM Grand and the Mandalay Bay and the Luxor and, and, and the Excalibur and the, the, that area there down there, you go down off the 15. You make that left. You go down Tropicana, then you make that left on Las Vegas Boulevard, which is really the start. Tropicana and Las Vegas Boulevard, which is really the start of the strip, and then you go down all the way to uh, Desert Desert Inn, but Desert Inn. Yeah, Desert Inn Road, which is right near, um, what is that near, the uh, the Venetians down there and the Treasure Island is down there and a couple of other places are down there, casinos are down there. It ain't nothing. It is absolutely nothing down there. So, you know, it would be a situation where, hell, I mean, these NBA players, really, if they wanted to, they could have the whole strip to themselves because A, it's a ghost town and B, if they're all... Whatever I mean, they wouldn't have to be still quarantined. The Bellagio's empty, the Paris is is empty, so I just don't see I just don't see how that would be happening. I don't think it would be a good idea. I, as I mentioned before, I think this is more generated on the fact that these guys are trying to get paid. And hey, look. We live in a capitalistic society. We live in the United States of America. Everybody wants to make a buck. Everybody wants to make as many dollars as possible. And no one wants to lose one dollar. No one wants to lose a whole bunch of money. So I can understand it, man. I get the idea that these guys are trying to think outside the box and do what they can to see what they can do to finish off their season. As far as the NBA and the NHL and the Major League Baseball and the NFL is concerned. But no, as I mentioned before, in the first segment of this program, of this podcast keep it away, have them keep far, far away, and let's just come back when we need to come back again, and let's see what we can do about getting it done. Wendell's World is Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, the podcast. So glad that you could be with us. Tom Brady, the now Tampa Bay Buccaneers quarterback, gave an interview on Howard Stern. Just going to look and take a look at the highlights from the interview. Some of the things that was said, some of the things that was mentioned, it was funny because after this interview, the main takeaway from those who listened to it and those who are talking about it is, oh my goodness, this is the real Tom Brady. Tom Brady has been unshackled. Tom Brady has been unleashed. Tom Brady now can be Tom Brady. This is great. He's no of the authoritative He's no under, He's no longer under Bill Belichick. He's no longer being clamped down by Bill Belichick. He's no longer being verbally sequestered by Bill Belichick. He can now go out and do what he wants and say what he wants and be a human being and have fun. And, and oh, my goodness gracious, this is so wonderful. This is so fantastic. Please, man, please. Let me give you some of the highlights from the interview. He, on the question of insight from Brady regarding how he tries to relate to teammates who come from different walks of life. On the Howard Stern show, when he was asked this question yesterday or two days ago, Brady said, Quote, I know guys who came from wealthy backgrounds. I know guys who come from nothing. I know guys who came from good high schools, from shitty high schools. You develop relationships with all these different people, and you've got to find ways to connect on different levels with different guys. All right. Sounds pretty good. Let me tell you something. I've been in a I've been in a situation before where I've been mainly hanging around like young folks and I'm one of the older guys there by a lot. Uh you know there's some things that you can kind of you can kind of talk about that you can kind of relate to but I don't know what a 43 year old with a couple of kids and the accomplishments that Tom Brady has can do as far as relating with a 22 year old or a 24 year old who's just starting in the league right now. They're at different points of their career. One's beginning his career, the other one's near the end of it. The other one is starting to have a situation where he's starting to you know, start building some foundations to what he's going to be doing in the next two or three years because Tom Brady is on the back nine of his career. We're talking about the back nine. He's probably at, what, the 17th hole at the very best of his career. No, I would say he's at the, what, 14th, 15th hole of his eighteen hole career. So, I mean, these guys who are 22, 23, man, they're just starting. They're trying to establish themselves. They're trying to have the impact and the longevity and the success that Tom Brady, their teammates, have had. So maybe... They can come to him and talk to him as far as a sage or someone saw as far as a, a man of wisdom. But just in terms of just kicking it, hanging out and doing all those types of things. Now, nah, man. Tom Brady is 43 years old. These guys are 22, 23, 24. Ain't happening. So, he'll con- so he continues. He said, I'll be 43 this year. And a lot of my teammates will be 22. I've got to connect with the 22-year-olds and find things that we can share and have fun with. I think that's why I've always enjoyed teen sports, because it's not just about me. Now, this is true, but then again, when you have that type of age gap, you can be cool with each other, you can be friendly with each other, you can even be, but you, I don't know at that type of relationship, that type of gap in their age differences, you, you can't have friends, you, you can't really have a true friendship. Because some of the things that these guys at 22 years old, I mean, come on, man. Just think about when we were 22 years old, how young and dumb and stupid that we were compared to what we're doing now. Do you want to be 22 again? I mean, physically, it'd be awesome. I'd give anything to be 22 again, physically. But mentally, no, nah, I'm cool where I'm at right now. You know, I've already been through the landmines and the stupid decisions and the idiotic thoughts and feelings and all that good stuff. I'm The majority of my stupidity around that age group is now gone now i'm starting to do stupid things and dumb things for someone around my age which is 51 but you know when i was 22 23 24 years old man all the dumb stuff i did and all the things i thought were cool and all that kind of stuff i don't want to go through that again and anybody who's 22 years old wants to wants to live their life like a 43 45 51 55 year old is nuts Hey man, go out and live. Go out and have some fun. Go out there and embrace your youth. Go out there and do all the stupid things that you should be doing, just as long as it's not felonious, just as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, yourself, your family, anybody else, innocent bystanders. Go out and have fun. Go out and enjoy your life. Go out and worry. Don't worry about all the things that people our age have to worry about. You'll get there soon enough. Believe me, the the time between 22 and 43 is very, very short. It might be a 21-year difference, but believe me, that decade and one year is going to go by very quickly, just like the college years, 18 to 22, when you were in college, that went by quickly, just like your high school years went by quickly. You know, It all goes by in a blur, so once you have those situations, once you're in that time frame, once you leave, you can't go back. So for Tom Brady, 43 years old, man, I, I can't go out to the clubs with you, man. I can't go out and hang out with you, man. I can't go out and discuss what's going on in your lives right now from a friendship to friendship standpoint. I can maybe do it from a mentoring standpoint because been there done that when I was your age. So I can give you some advice on what you can do. I can give you some advice of how to be a great football player. I can give you some advice on what it's like to be a husband and a father. I can give you some advice on to try to navigate the trials and tribulations and the obstacles of having a long, successful NFL career. I could give you advice on that student, teacher, father, son type of deal like that concerning those issues. But now nah, we can't connect in terms of we're just starting in the league. We need to go through this because when Tom Brady started in the league way back when he did, but 19 or 2001, 2002, whenever, the league was completely different. This world was completely different. People were completely different than it is in 2020. So even if Tom Brady on some level wanted to connect and find common ground with someone who's 22 years old, two different worlds, man, two, two different worlds and one can't go into the other. So I understand what Tom Brady is saying. I'm not saying that Tom Brady had to be aloof or he had to be distanced or he has to, you know, be hanging out on one side and the other kids are hanging out on the other. I'm not Tom Brady as a leader, he knows that he can't do that. But it's just a matter of I need to form with them a working relationship, a working bond, a working trust with these guys. When I'm on the football field and when the games are over and when the practices are over, or when we leave the facility, I go ahead and do my thing because I got a wife and a couple of kids. I've got films to study, I've got some other things to do, and you go ahead and you do your thing. Maybe you want to hang with your boys. Maybe you want to go over and hang with some chick that you've been banging for the last couple of weeks. She's a good piece of ass and you want to get with that for a little bit. Maybe you want to get with your friend from the neighborhood and just feel more comfortable with them and talk to them and discuss what's going on in your life with them. Because as far as mentally and age-wise, they're on the same plane. They can realize, they can figure out things, they can understand more than what you're talking about. You go ahead and do that. But what Tom Brady is talking about, as far as finding connections, finding ways that we can share and have fun with, that's mainly purely from a football standpoint, which is in winning games, seeing what we can do to win football games, to win championships. That's what I think Tom Brady means. So as part of the interview, as he continued with Howard Stern a couple of days ago on SiriusXM, he was asked whether he, he asked whether he, he ever went to Bill Belichick and essentially demanded to demanded the coach to get rid of a player. So basically, you know, we, we see this all the time, whether it's rumored or not, especially in the NBA, when the you're talking about a, someone in the stature of a LeBron James or a Michael Jordan or Larry Bird or Magic Johnson or James Harden or whoever is the quote-unquote face of the franchise, you know, because they're so important to a team because we're only playing with, what, 12 guys. When a decision is going to be made, whether it's going to be hiring a coach or getting rid of a player or making a trade or what direction the team is going to be going into, a lot of times the star player, all throughout time, this happened with Bill Russell, this happened with Will Chamberlain, this happened with all of Jerry West and Elgin Baylor and Oscar Robertson and those. They were always just kind of, at least at the very least, given an idea or a heads up as in, hey, this is what we're going to be doing. So if you're like the San Antonio Spurs, as much of a presence that Greg Popovich was as the head coach and how much power he swung. I'm not saying Tim Duncan would be the type of guy to say, well, you need to do this or you need to do that or you need to trade for this guy or you need to acquire this guy or you need to get rid of this guy or else screw it, I ain't gonna play for you or whatever like that. I don't think Popovich would play those games, but more than likely that Popovich would be smart enough to listen to what Tim Duncan is saying and take that into serious consideration when him and R.C. Buford are making a decision on what players to keep, what players to move, what players to acquire, what players to draft and such. So it's probably no different if you're talking about in football, especially on the offensive side of the football. It didn't matter if you were Peyton Manning. It didn't matter if you were Ben Roethlisberger. It doesn't matter if you're Russell Wilson. It doesn't matter if you're Aaron Rodgers or Drew Brees with the New Orleans Saints. I'm quite sure there's discussion and communication going on with the GM or the president of football operations or the head coach in terms of, hey, you know what? This is what we want to do offensive-wise. This is what we're looking to do offensive-wise. This is the type of player that we're looking to bring in offensive-wise. What's your thoughts and feelings and opinions about that? Or I'm quite sure there has been a time where maybe there was a quarterback of high stature that came in and said, hey, you know what, man? Either he goes or I go because I can't deal. See, Donovan McNabb, Terrell Owens, they're just joking about that. But, you know, so when asked if he ever went to Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, and demanded the coach get rid of a player, Brady said, I would say to Belichick, I don't have any trust that this guy can help us win the game. I've definitely expressed my opinion to say if you put him out there, I'm not going to throw him the ball. The whole team is trusting me to do what's right by the team. So you can't put someone out there who I don't believe in, because if I don't believe in him, it's worthless for the team. It's, I think it's fortunate for me, Coach Belichick, always saw it the same way as me, which is why I think we had such a great connection. We saw football very much the same way that I saw it. All the coaches that worked that I work with on a daily basis, they want the same thing. So yeah, that's. So basically, what they're trying to ask him is, Tom Brady, had you ever been a diva? Have you ever been one of those guys? And Tom Brady is no, but I'm also the type of guy that wants to win. And if someone asks me their opinion, yeah, I'll give them my opinion of something, but I'm not gonna go barging into the locker room or barging into the coach's office and say, You gotta get rid of him, you gotta get rid of this guy and this guy or that guy. So Brady cleared that up or answered that question concerning that. Wendell's World of Sports the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so doggone glad that you could be with us. The next question that Howard Stern asked Tom Brady during this interview a couple of days ago was whether he and Belichick would would have been able to have success with or without one another well, basically, you know, could Belichick win five championships or six championships without Tom Brady? And could Tom Brady win six championships without Bill Belichick? A a very stupid uh, argument, to say the least. Could Red Auerbach have won 11 championships No, eight championships with Bill Russell? Could Bill Russell have won 11 championships without Red Auerbach? Could Peyton Manning have won their championships without Tony Dungy or win the Super Bowl without Tony Dungy? Have the success that he had with Tony Dungy? Could that have happened? I mean, please give me a break. So, and answering that question, Brady said, I think it's pretty I think it's a pretty shitty argument that people would say that. I can't do this job and he can't do mine. I can't do his job and he can't do mine. So the fact that you could say, would I be successful without him? The same level of success, I don't believe I would have I would have been. But I feel the same and vice versa as well. To have him allow me to be the best that I can be, I'm grateful for that. And I'm very much And I very much believe he feels the same about me because we've expressed that to each other. Of course. Of course. Is Tom Brady winning six Super Bowls if Rich Kotite is his head coach? If Jim Zorn is his head coach? No. No. No, of course not. It was the absolute perfect marriage between a quarterback and a coach. But guess what? Here's some other things. Does New England win those six Super Bowls without Willie McGinnis, without Troy Brown? without Bill O'Brien, without Josh McDaniels, without Teddy Bruschi, without uh, any of those guys? Do those guys win those championships? Do those guys win those championships without Vince Wolford? Do those guys win those championships without the owner Robert Kraft? Do those guys win those championships without the scouts? Do those guys win those championships without Scott Pioli? Do those guys win those championships without the trainers and the medical folks and the ball boys and everybody else? The answer is no. It takes more than just a coach and a quarterback to win championships. I don't care who you are. This is the 1920s. I'm sorry. This is the 2020. This is the 21st century, man. You know, you've got offensive line coaches, defensive line coaches. You've got with, uh, with, with the New England Patriots have won those Super Bowls without Charlie Weiss at the offensive coordinator and Romeo Cornell at the defensive coordinator. Would well, he have won those championships without the offensive uh, coordinating uh, of. of uh, um? Josh McDaniel? Is Tom Brady as successful without those guys? Is Tom Brady as successful without the players around him? Of course not. So just to minimize it to just quarterback and coach, no, the whole team. If the if Bill if Bill Belichick would have been hired after he got fired by the by the Cleveland Browns. If Bill Belichick's second job as a coach would have been someone like the, like the Washington Snyderskins under the tutelage of, or under the ownership of Daniel Snyder, if Bill Belichick would have become the coach under the ownership of the Fords with the Detroit Lions, if Bill Belichick would have been the head coach or would have been hired by Mike Brown of the Cincinnati Bengals, the Bill Belichick that we know today would not have existed. The Bill Belichick right now that we're talking about is one of the greatest, if not the greatest coaches in NFL history, six Super Bowl championships, nine times in the Super Bowl, all this, all these accolades. If he was hired by the franchises, as I, as I just mentioned before, none of this stuff would have came to fruition, just like if Greg Popovich didn't get the opportunity to coach. The San Antonio Spurs, and if they didn't win the lottery for them to draft Tim Duncan, I'm guaranteeing you right now, and Coach Popovich would probably be the first to tell you, he ain't winning five championships. If Tim Duncan goes to the Boston Celtics, if the San Antonio Spurs don't win the lottery in 1997 to draft Tim Duncan, Greg Popovich is not the great Popovich that we know right now. He's not the so he's not one of the greatest coaches of all time. He's not a five-time NBA champion. He's none of those things. If it wasn't for the luck of him winning. The lottery to draft Tim Duncan and then having the expertise and then having the foundation of the franchise that he's being employed by to give him the opportunity to do what he wanted to do, to do that he needed to do to build that team to win championships. So... The whole the argument stays the same. Well, who would have won uh, who's responsible for winning championships? Who's the one responsible for the success? Tim Duncan or Greg Popovich? It does it goes much farther than that. Tim Duncan ain't winning championships without David Robinson. Tim Duncan ain't winning championships without Avery Johnson. Tim John Tim Duncan is not winning championships without without Sean Elliott, without Jaron Jackson. Tim Duncan is not winning championships if David Robinson said, Fuck this young kid. I'm still the man. Fuck him. I'm still the guy that's going to be taking all the shots. I'm still the guy that's going to be the number one guy. I'm, the, I'm still this guy. I'm still going to be the guy. Screw him. Screw that rookie. I'm jealous. I'm petty. I'm shallow. I'm going to be that guy. You know, who knows what will have happened in, I believe it was game three, the first run that they had where the Spurs won a championship, where Sean Elliott hit that three-point shot over the outstretched arms of Rashid Wallace in the right baseline when his where his – toes were no his his heels were barely off the ground if they would have been on the ground it would have been a out of bounds turnover the Spurs could have lost that game they could have lost that series who knows what would have happened to the dynasty in the making who knows what would have happened going forward if that stuff didn't happen my whole point in all this and saying is that damn who knows man when you're talking about whether the success belongs more to Belichick or to Brady. It's much, much, much deeper than that to the point where that argument is pretty mute and pretty senseless, in my opinion. None of those guys would have been successful without each other. But guess what? Those two guys, it could have been Bill Belichick could have drafted Tom Brady. But without putting the other players around him, it didn't make any difference. Those guys weren't winning six Super Bowl championships. Those guys weren't going to the Super Bowl nine times, those guys weren't having the success that they did over a 20-year period if the offensive coordinator sucked, if the defensive coordinator sucked, if Teddy Bruschi was a bust, if Ted Johnson was a joke, if Troy Brown didn't sacrifice some of the things that he had to do to make the team better, if they didn't have a Deion Branch, if they didn't have a Lawyer Malloy, if they didn't have a Ty Law, if they didn't have a Scott Pioli, if they didn't have a Romeo Cornell. So I've always found that stuff. What what happens if Robert Kraft all of a sudden got jealous about what was going on. And he felt that, you know what? I'm the owner of this team. Why is Bill Belichick getting all the love? Why is Tom Brady getting all the love? I need to have more adulation come my way. So let me do something stupid. What happens if Robert Kraft had the same outward personality and ego as a, as a Jerry Jones of Dallas? You remember him firing Jerry uh, Jimmy Johnson. How many more championships, how much more of a dynasty could Dallas have put together if egos didn't get in the way, mainly from Jerry Jones' side? What happened if Robert Kraft all of a sudden wanted to be more hands-on? And that might have broken up the relationship between Belichick and Brady after they won their super their second Super Bowl championship. Who knows? Who knows? So a lot of things go into play here. I mean, for instance, what happens if, I don't know, Mike Martz used the common sense of handing the ball off to Marshall Falkmore? in the first Super Bowl that the New England Patriots won. I don't know. What happens if Pete Carroll decided to run the ball on the one-yard line at the end of the game to Marshawn Lynch? Who could have? What could have happened? Let's say, for instance, that if Kyle Shanahan, well, it's not really his fault, but let's say, for instance, that Atlanta would, would have made a few more plays for them to win the last Super Bowl that uh, the New England Patriots won under Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. So I, I don't, all of these things to me, factor in when you start talking about oh you know uh who's more important and who's gonna win more championships and who's more responsible for the dynasty and, and all that kind of nonsense. I don't I don't play that game. I don't play that game in any sport. So that's just my long way of explaining that Tom Brady gave the good answer to say, hey look, you know we were both important for each other and we both needed each other to win these championships and we're not as successful apart than we were together. So to sit there and say, well, I think Brady deserves 70% and Bill deserves 30%, or I think Belichick deserves 66.638475 of, of the credit, while Brady deserves 32.743843% of the credit. It's just, to me, it's just nonsensical, not worth discussing, and really a waste of time when we do all those things. Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Still motoring on about what's going on with Tom Brady. It's just interesting to at least Tom Brady open up just a little bit. I'm glad that he's at the point of his life now where he feels comfortable enough to go ahead and talk about some things. And I'm one of these guys, as far as athletes are concerned, very few athletes really interest me as far as what they do off the field or their home life or what type of fathers or parents that they are and what they do on their day to day. I mean, my main thing with them is to critique what they do on the playing field. And then after that, man, that's your business. I don't want to get into your business. I don't want to sit there and judge what kind of father you are or what kind of husband you are or what kind of friend you are. I don't, I don't, I don't want to get into that. You know, when I watch somebody play on the football field or on the basketball court or on the tennis grounds or in the square circle or in the octagon, I can, I can kind of tell what type of a player that you are, I can tell what type of competitor that you are. I can kind of given, I can kind of formulate what type of, um, of 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 a person you are in terms of what you do for a living. You know, I, in in that arena, I can go ahead and do that. Sometimes I veer off, and I might talk about someone's personality in terms of outside of the court outside of the stadium, outside of the arena, or what type of person that they are, considering the community or something like that. I'll venture out there sometimes. But for the most part, when you start talking about what type of father that he is or what type of son or daughter that they are or what type of husband or wife that they are, I I, I leave that alone. I don't want to get into that. I, I don't I don't know. I'm not with these guys. I've never seen... A camera has never been in to where I can judge what type of parents that they are or what type of husband or wife that they are. I'm not I'm not there. I'm not there, and I don't want to get into that. So when Tom Brady leaves leave the football field and he's done st- talking about football, for me, that's it, man. That's cool. That's fine. You go ahead. You do your things. You hang out with your kids, and you you know hang out with Giselle, and you become a good father and a good husband, and you work on that. And whatever happens once the door is closed, whatever happens once you get into the car and you leave the stadium, that's your business. I'm not interested. I don't want to get into it. But it was interesting for those who are interested, and I know the majority of them are. I know the majority of sports fans are interested to hear some of the things about Tom Brady, the man, not just the football player. So I think it was pretty good of him or pretty nice of him to be at the point of his life to where he can open up and start talking about, you know, the situation that he had with his marriage to Giselle and start talking about, you know, being a father to the kids and Saw so one of the quotes that I had to chuckle a little bit talking about. You know what? If my kids showed the same type of aptitude and same type of care of doing their homework that I did when I was in high school, I'd be a pretty pissed off father right now. I thought stuff like that, anecdotes like that were pretty cool and pretty interesting. But for the most part, I don't need to know any about that stuff. You, know, you You be father, you be husband, you be regular citizen. And when you come back and start playing football and what you do between the lines and how you interact with your teammates and everything like that. That's what I'll critique you on, but I'm not going to sit here and start, you know, doing a sports talk show about what type of father you are or, you know, the decisions that you make in terms of being a parent or a husband. I'm not, I'm not down with that. So a lot of the discussion with Tom Brady centered around that, but, you know, I mainly was focusing on exactly what he was talking about with the New England Patriots. And he admitted that he knew the end was near in Foxborough even before the 2019 season began, I remember doing a podcast where I was like, hey, look, man, you know, during this free agency, I think Tom Brady is in a situation where I don't think he knows what he wants to do. I don't know if he, I'm quite sure on the Monday, he'll wake up and say, I want to go back with the Patriots. And then that Tuesday, he'll wake up and say, you know what, I want to go somewhere else. And then that Tuesday afternoon, he might say, I want to go back to the New England Patriots. And then on Wednesday night, he might say, you know what, I mean, living in the West Coast might be a pretty nice idea. Then Thursday morning, he might get back up and say, you know what, maybe going down south would be cool. And then Friday, he might go back to being, I want to get back with the New England Patriots. Who knows, man? There's no... Definitive mark. So when people were speculating out there about where Tom Brady was going to go I was on the Assumption in terms of what I was throwing out to you guys was I don't even think Tom Brady yet knows where he really wants to go But I guess Tom Brady was talking about he knew the end was near or he knew that the 2019 season for the New England Patriots would be his last and he said quote I don't think there was a final final decision until it happened but I would say I probably knew before the start of the last season that it was my last year. I knew our time was coming to an end and I'm quite sure we probably didn't read enough into, you know, the stories. I remember there was an ESPN story coming out there about Tom Brady and the relationship that they had with Bill Belichick and there was a, I think it was the year that the um, I think it was the year that the Patriots beat the Atlanta Falcons to win the Super Bowl and there was some you know, there was, it was on ESPN.com, and there was the discussion and there was the story about the relationship between Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, and how, you know, after a while, Tom Brady just kind of got annoyed and kind of tired of the fact that, you know, Bill Belichick would address him. During practices or during film sessions, if he saw Brady doing something wrong, he felt that, you know, hey, Brady, you need to be doing this, and Brady, you need to be doing that, and Brady's sitting up there talking about shit. Man, how many fucking Super Bowls have I got your ass? And you're gonna be coming up here doing this to me? Like this? Really? Seriously? Like there was a situation where oh, man, I'm trying to think, where basically the game ball, like Tom Brady never really got the game ball from Belichick, or basically it just came down to what the story that I got was the fact that it was a situation where Brady felt that maybe Belichick was taking him for granted. You know what I mean? And the expectations were so high that it was like, you know what, man? I mean, you're really going to criticize me, all that I do for you? And you're going to do this? This is starting to get old. This is starting to get boring. And hey, man, just like any marriage, whether it be personal or whether it be a business or whatever, it either runs its course. It runs its course. Sometimes marriages last 60 years. Sometimes marriages last 40 years. Sometimes marriages last for eternity. Sometimes marriages last 15 minutes, 20 minutes, two days, three months, one year. In this situation, as far as a working marriage is concerned between Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, it lasted 20 years. It was a good 20 years. It was a strong 20 years. How many other folks out there, how many other marriages in terms of sports can you take a look at and say a coach and a player were together for this long. Of course, they were going to be strains of course, after a while you would get kind of tired of each other. Most of the time, I think Pat Riley said the exploration in terms of a really good, strong working relationship between coach and player normally last about 10 years. And then after 10 years, You kind of start wanting to go somewhere else. All of a sudden, now the message that you've been hearing for years and years and years doesn't resonate anymore. It gets kind of boring. It gets kind of old. It gets kind of stale. But with Tom Brady, it lasted 20, 20 years. So that's that's pretty good. That's really good. So that was also one of the things that people were talking about. So after doing that, he talked about how he's not going to let other people tell him when to walk away from football. Of course, we've got that a lot, right? Protect your legacy, Tom. Protect your legacy. Protect your legacy. Go out as a Patriot. Take a look at Cal Ripken. Take a look at Tim Duncan. Take a look at Kobe Bryant. Take a look at uh, Reggie Miller. Take a look at all these guys. They all finished their careers with one team. Look how iconic they are. Look how wonderful and awesome that they are. Do that, Tom. Stay the whole time. If every anybody was going to stay their entire career show the loyalty with one team, especially in the NFL, when you've had examples of Joe Montana and Emmitt Smith and Jerry Rice, and you can take all the really great players from the past 20, 25 years, it always seems like they finished their career somewhere else. Tom Brady was going to be the exception. Do that, Tom. Do that, Tom. But Brady was like, nah. So again, talking about, you know, people telling him to go away or people telling him to retire, he said that, quote, I just sit here, and say stop playing football so I would worry about what's going on. No, I I could sit here and say stop playing football so I could worry about what's going to happen or worry about this or that instead of saying, why don't I live my life the way I want to enjoy it? For me, it's doing what I love to do. Don't tell a musician to stop singing at age 42. You don't tell a great painter, stop painting at 42. If you want to stop, stop. Go ahead. But for me, because I feel I can still play, doesn't mean I should stop playing because that's what everyone tells me I should do. Amen. Amen, brother. I mean, anybody, I don't think anybody, quote unquote, tells you what to do. But what they're saying, maybe a suggestion should be that maybe you should retire. They're channeling their inner, what they would do into what you would do. Obviously, not knowing. They've never been in the position that they've been for the most part of people telling you that you need to hang it up you need to protect your legacy. Does anybody remember that Willie Mays played his last couple of seasons or his last season with the New York Mets? Does anybody remember that Babe Ruth played his last season with the Boston Braves? Does anybody remember that Johnny United finished his career with the San Diego Chargers? Does anybody remember that Michael Jordan played a year and a half or so with the Washington Wizards? Does anybody remember any of those things? Does anybody remember that Akeem Olajuwon played his final season in Toronto? Does anybody remember that Patrick Ewing played his final season in Orlando? Does anybody remember that Shaquille Neil played his final season with who the Boston Celtics does anybody remember any of those things does anybody remember that Jerry Rice played his final season with the Denver Broncos or Seattle Seahawks one of those two does anybody remember does that put a stain on anything does anybody sit up there and talk about when they talk about the greatness of Joe Montana or the greatness of Willie Mays or the greatness of Hank Aaron or the greatness of Babe Ruth or the greatness of Pete Rose who played with the Uh, Philadelphia Phillies and some others after he left the Cincinnati Reds, does anybody sit up there and talk about and say, oh, you know what, great player, awesome career, one of the greatest ever, but you know what, he didn't play his entire career with the one team that he should have, is anybody sitting there taking points away from Michael Jordan because he played, he didn't finish his career with the Chicago Bulls, is anybody taking points away from Brett Favre, Because he didn't finish his career with the Green Bay Packers? Is anybody taking points away again from Willie Mays because he didn't play his entire career with the New York-San Francisco Giants? No. 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 So for Tom Brady, who cares? Let's just say, for instance, that the season starts on September 10th and Tom Brady turns out to be an absolute disaster. Turns out to be a complete bust. Turns out that he's done. He's washed up. He's through. He's finished. In five or six years from now, when he's going to be at the podium, giving his Hall of Fame speech? Is he going to sit there and be like, well, you know, is anybody going to sit there and yell out, yeah, but man, Tampa Bay, is that going to affect anything in terms of his legacy is concerned? Everybody talks about legacy, man. Does anybody remember what Lawrence Taylor's legacy is? Does anybody remember what Ted Williams' legacy is? Does anybody remember what Clyde Drexler's legacy is? What does that mean, legacy? What is that definition of legacy? What does that mean? Tom Brady's going to mess up his legacy. What legacy is that? Great all-time great player, one of the greatest quarterbacks, if not the greatest quarterbacks who's ever played the game. How is going to Tampa Bay to finish up his career somehow going to taint that? All of a sudden, it's, well, if he goes to Tampa Bay and he sucks, all of a sudden, he's not one of the greatest football players who's ever lived. He's not one of the greatest football uh, quarterbacks who's ever played. He's not. A guy who's won six Super Bowl championships, he's not all of these accolades that he that we can name concerning Tom Brady, all of a sudden now that's that's dimmed, that's washed away, that's 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 stained for some reason because he finished his career with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Who cares? Who cares? Tom Brady has nothing to lose. To me, when these guys take on a new challenge like this. And Tom Brady can still play. This is not a situation where Emmitt Smith was at the end of his career in Dallas and he still wanted to play and Dallas knew that he couldn't play. And I'm quite sure in the back of his heart, there was about a 55% chance that Emmitt Smith knew he couldn't play anymore. But he said, you know what? I still want to play. I still want to collect a paycheck. I I still want to compete. So he went to the Arizona Cardinals. This is not that type of situation with Tom Brady where Emmitt Smith was done, went to the Cardinals, and he was the one that found out. That he was done. This isn't a situation like Ali, who thought he could, he could still box, maybe because of ego, maybe because of uh, financial reasons, but he got into the Bahamas. He got in there and fought Trevor Burbick in the Bahamas and lost a 10 round decision. This is not Joe Lewis getting knocked through the ropes in round eight by Rocky Marciano to end his career. This is not the Sugar Ray Leonard taking a terrible beating by terrible Terry Norse to finally let him know that his career was over. Tom Brady is still a guy who is a doggone good quarterback. He ain't Aaron Rodgers. He ain't Patrick Mahomes. He ain't Russell Wilson. He ain't Lamar Jackson. He ain't Deshaun Watson. But damn, he's still a pretty good damn quarterback. Would you put him in the right situation, can lead a team possibly, if everything falls right to a championship. So why would Tom Brady leave the New England Patriots? Or I'm sorry, why wouldn't Tom Brady all of a sudden then decide that he wants to retire? 't make any doesn't make any sense to me and for those who question his legacy are you living with Tom Brady do you have any connection with Tom Brady I mean who cares 20 25 years ago who fucking cares about Tom Brady's legacy I'm tearing I'm guaranteeing you right now in the year 2060 or in the year 2050 or 2040 the large majority of the population that's living if we still have a civilization to begin with depends on what happens in November. But if we still have a normal, active civilization in the year 2035 or the year 2040, the majority of folks who are living in this country, who are running this world, they're not going to know who Tom Brady is. They're not going to give a fuck who Tom Brady is. They're not going to care about the legacy of Tom Brady. Just like I'm telling you right now, nobody gives a fuck about the legacy of Sammy Ball or Otto Graham or Johnny Jack or Bronco Nugursky or any of those guys. That's not going to happen. No, that, so so right now in twenty twenty, to sit there and be worried about Tom Brady's legacy, who cares? Tom Brady's got to live with Tom Brady, and if it takes the situation as far as the league or just the the, the opponents, just tell Tom Brady that guess what, man, you should have retired. At least Tom Brady knows. Because you can't go back ahead and do this. You know what? If, if you're in another job that doesn't involve some type of physicality, you, you can work at that job for 20, 30, 40, 50. You want to be a school teacher. You can be a school teacher for 40, 50 years if you want to. You can be in the educational system for four or five decades if you want to. If you want to work as a real estate agent, you can do that for decades. There's a lot of things out there that you can do for decades. It's not going to hurt you physically. It's not going to hurt you mentally. It's not going to affect your brain. It's not going to affect your physical. And you can keep doing that and doing that. You can take some time off. Go right back after a five, seven, 10-year hiatus and get back and pick up right where you left off. If you're an athlete, especially a football player, Tom Brady can't sit there at 42 and say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. And then six years later, come back and say, yeah, I think I will want to do that. Let me go ahead and pick up right where I left off. You can't do that. You can't do that. Well, I mean, he can't do that, but it would be an unwise decision. I doubt if anybody would take him back. So you might as well, man, you might as well get every human drop out of it. When I was 26 years old, way, way back when, I made the decision when I was living in my hometown, the Washington DC metropolitan area. I said, you know what? I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna go to clubs and I'm gonna do this for about a year. Every Friday and Saturday night, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna go to a club. I'm gonna go down to Northeast. I'm gonna go down to downtown. I'm gonna go to Blues Alley. I'm gonna go wherever there's some beautiful young ladies. I'm gonna be there. And I'm going to be there where the music's going to be pumping and there's going to be a lot of people and all those type of things. That last year of, I think I did that for like six or seven months straight. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. I hated going downtown. I hated going into those places. I hated being wall to wall where there's nothing but, when basically it was a boys club. I hated the fact. I hated playing the games. I hated All that bullshit about, hey, what's up? How you doing? You want to dance? What's your name? Blah, 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 blah. I hated that bullshit. Hated it. But the reason why I did it is because I don't want to be, because at the time I was single, I said, I don't want to be one of these guys who you see every now and then when you're at the club and the medium age at the club is like 24, 25 years old. And you always see that guy who's like 31, 32, 33, the old guy that's in there and he's trying to talk to the girls. He's trying to relive what these 20 year olds are doing, or these guys and gals in their twenties are are doing, you see that one guy and he's pathetic, he's a joke, he's a clown. And I said, you know what? I'm not gonna be that guy. I am not going to be that guy. And for me to ensure that I have the greatest chance of not reverting back and going back to these clubs when I'm 30 and 31 and 33 and 35, the best chance I know how to do that is to have my last remembrance of going to these clubs is being nothing but agony and frustration and just like total boredom and just get me the fuck out of here. That's what I want. When I think of clubs, when I think of the whole club situation, just clubbing like like those in their 20s do, the last image I want to have is the year that I went and I was going out and I hated every moment of it. But guess what? If it means down the road that it doesn't entice me that I have no, no type of itch to be scratched by going to a club. I'm talking to some chick who's 24, 25 years old when I'm 32, 35. If I have to go through this bullshit, then I'll go through it because I'm happy. I'm content. There's no welcome back. I haven't been in a club like that in decades and I have absolutely, positively, unequivocally no desire to go back in there. Too many people too much smoke too much bullshit too much i don't want to ever step foot back into a club once again especially surrounded by some 20 20 year olds 20 something year olds that's the same thing with tom brady when tom brady gets done playing football i'm quite sure that 48 49 whenever that is he's gonna sit back and say you know what man i i have absolutely zero desire And it makes it easier for him to talk about football. It's it's easier for him to talk about his career and his legacy and do all these other things and be still involved in the game in a separate situation without ever having the desire to say, man, you know what, I wonder what it would have been like if I would have gone back when I was 42, 43, 44. You know there's going to be someone who's going to try to do it. You know there's going to be someone down the road, whether Tom Brady is in his 50s, 60s, or 70s. You know the way that we're going, that we're evolving, that there's pretty soon going to be some guy who's going to be a top five, top six, seven athlete, when they're going to be in their early to mid 40s, maybe even their late 40s. Maybe that's going to be something to where we're going to see a bunch of guys playing sports at a high level and doing well and competing in hockey and basketball and tennis and football and basketball and uh, baseball and everything that are going to be in their 40s. It's not going to be, it's not going to be anomaly to see someone who's 42, 43, 44, 45 years old, still doing really, really well. 10, 15, 20, 25 years from now, the way nutrition is evolving, the way we just evolve as human beings. So Tom Brady, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, go ahead, get out there, do what you need to do, man. Go out there and play till they tell you, you can't play anymore until you say, you know what? I don't want to play anymore and have no regrets. Have no regrets, and that's exactly what Tom Brady is doing. Wendell Wallace, I'm hosting a podcast, it's called Wendell's World of Sports. That's what you're listening to. So glad that you could be with us. I want to hit this before I get out of here talking about with Tom Brady or get out of here talking about this subject concerning Tom Brady because the deal is, and I've been going on a long, I've been going on pretty long about this, but there's some things I want to say. I don't know exactly when I'm gonna be when I'm gonna be talking about Tom Brady again, so I wanna get everything out again concerning this. What many people took away from the interview, the new Tom Brady! He's new and improved! Ah, Bill Belichick, he suppressed Brady, it didn't allow him to show his personality to let people know who he really is. You know, now without being in the New England Patriots franchise, he's now free, free at last, free at last. Thank God almighty. I'm free at last to talk about Giselle and my kids and my wants and my needs. And Lord have mercy. I can talk about it. I can talk about it with black folks. I can talk about it with Asian folks. I can talk about it with Hispanic folks. We can all get together without Bill Belichick talking about you can't say this and you can't do this and you can't be on this TV show and you can't say these things and you can't use them words. Thank goodness gracious that I'm finally gone from the New England Patriots. Thank the Lord that I can finally go ahead and say and let people know who I am. The real Tom Brady. That bullshit. Give me a fucking break. So somehow, some way that Bill Belichick has been controlling Tom Brady. And now, thank goodness, we get to finally see Tom Brady. Now he's just free to go ahead and just... Talk about whatever, man. I can't wait to hear what he has to say about finding a cure for the coronavirus. Or I can't wait to see what his thoughts and feelings are about Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. I can't wait to see his thoughts and feelings about ISIS, what we need to do. I cannot wait. Ooh, this is going to be wonderful. I cannot wait to hear about his intimate life with Giselle. I can't wait to see what's going to be happening if his son brings home a bad grade. I'm quite sure he's going to run in front of a camera and talk about it because now Tom Brady has been unshackled by the evil dictator known as Bill Belichick. He's finally free. That narrative is such garbage. (laughs) It is such garbage. I mean, you know what it is? The New England, let's talk about the suppressing. Let's talk about the suppressing. The New England Patriots, they suppress you. Now, yes, I mean, you're not allowed to say anything. You're not allowed to have any personality whatsoever. I mean, Bill Belichick doesn't even let his assistants talk. Can you imagine that? I'm sorry, name me a name me a franchise that allows his assistants to talk. Name me a coach in the NFL that allows his assistants to talk about game plan or anything. That's not like something that's rare. I don't I don't hear the offensive and defensive coordinator from the Seattle Seahawks and from the Arizona Cardinals and from the Indianapolis Colts and from the Miami Dolphins running in front of cameras talking about this game plan and that game plan and this is what we need to do and how this quarterback is performing or how this linebacker is performing or how they're being told what and what not to do by the head coach and how they want to do a pizza commercial or how they want to make a little extra money, but they're being suppressed or they're being clamped down or they're being shackled, handcuffed by the head coach. I've never heard any interview from a offensive or defensive coordinator from any other franchise. So the fact that Bill Belichick doesn't allow his coordinators to speak, that's nothing new. Oh, and by the way, I remember reading a story about Bill Belichick. Yeah, at least when he was in Cleveland. Yeah, he didn't allow his assistants to speak, but guess what? He always paid them really, really well and always paid them bonuses. So I don't know what type of dictatorial evil Evil son of a bitch that these guys were working for, but Bill Belichick at least financially took care of them, took care of them pretty well. So this oppression that Bill Belichick has cast, this, these rules that Bill Belichick in terms of suppressing someone's personality and everything. Did the New England Patriots depress Rob Gronkowski? Yeah, that Gronk, man. I didn't know anything about that guy. That guy never said anything. That guy, when he was with the New England Patriots, didn't show any type of emotion, didn't show any type of personality. I'd have no idea what Rob Gronkowski is all about. Is he a vivacious guy? Is he a gregarious guy? What about Rob Gronkowski? Because I never knew anything Rob Gronkowski was doing, especially in the offseason, because he was under the monarchy known as the New England Patriots, led by his king ruler, Bill Belichick. Never knew that. Did, wasn't he the same guy that took pictures with porn star B.B. Jones and then put him on his Twitter account? Oh, you're my hero right there, B.B. Jones. That's what I'm talking about. Wasn't this guy the Rob Gronkowski who took part in WrestleMania 33? Wasn't this the Rob Gronkowski who went out and had fun and did a lot of crazy stuff? Wasn't that the Rob Gronkowski? That guy was being suppressed by the New England Patriots? Somehow, some way that Bill Belichick was ordering him not to show a personality? Really? That was a guy whose personality and characters and everything was shackled, was kept down by Bill Belichick. What about Aaron Hernandez? I mean, hell, the Patriots way somehow, way suppressed Aaron Hernandez. I mean, I'm sorry, that man went out and was, and was killing people. Maybe they should have done a little bit better job in suppressing Aaron Hernandez. So this is stuff about, you know, Tom Brady gives an interview and he goes a little bit deeper into what he's all about and. He goes ahead and uses a few curse words and all of a sudden now he's, this is an indictment on Bill Belichick. Didn't he do Tom versus time when he was doing that, taking an inside look that he put on Facebook and such? Wasn't he doing that when he was still with the New England Patriots? Wasn't he opening up his, his life, so to speak, outside of football to let people know what he's all about? Wasn't that when he was under contract, under employment with the New England Patriots being coached by Bill Belichick? So what is this stuff about, oh my goodness, Tom is now free to do whatever he wants. Now, Tom is just growing up and Tom is just evolving. The 42-year-old Tom Brady is a lot different from the 26, 30, 35, 38-year-old Tom Brady as a human being. He's evolving. We saw the same thing with Kobe Bryant. Remember when Kobe first got into the league from about 18 to around, I don't know, 24, 25? What was the main thing about Kobe Bryant? What what were people saying about Kobe Bryant? This guy is just a Michael Jordan clone in terms of the way that he talks, the way that he walks, the way that he he licks his lips, the way that he, his mannerisms. He's trying to do Jordan. He's trying to be Michael Jordan in every way, shape, or form. And this was a guy in his early years, speaking about Kobe Bryant, we didn't know anything about this guy. We knew nothing about him because he wouldn't let us in. He was very secretive. He was very protective. I mean, Kobe Bryant was the guy who said, you know what? I'd rather win. When my career is over, I would rather win championships and not make any type of friends than to have a whole bunch of friends and only win one or two championships. That was Kobe Bryant. He was distant. He was aloof. He didn't really connect with his teammates. A lot of that had to do with the fact that he entered the league when he was 18 years old and with the exception of Derek Fisher, everybody else were basically grown men. But for the most part, as we saw Kobe Bryant evolve as a man, and he went from being 18 to 22 to 25, and all of a sudden, the Bryant that we saw at 32 and 35, and after Shaquille O'Neal left and he got his own team, and he became the face of the franchise, and his stature in the league started to grow, and he all of a sudden became uh, older, and an elder statesman, and all of a sudden, people who were idolizing Kobe when he was just a youngster, they get into the league, and they let him know how much of a, of a mentor in terms of them, uh, a hero that he was. All of a sudden now, we see that Kobe Bryant at age 35, 36, 37, and right before death at 42, all of a sudden now, Kobe is much more comfortable in the skin. All of a sudden now, Kobe is much more comfortable talking about things other than basketball. All of a sudden now, Kobe now is more comfortable in his own skin to show us, to show the media, to show the public, this is what Kobe Bryant is all about. And all of a sudden he's open about talking about his relationship with his wife and his children and what being a father means to him, means to him. and talking about other things concerning life, talk about what's happening in the black community, talking about what's going on in this world. All of a sudden now this 22 year old who we knew nothing about, who was aloof, who didn't really didn't want to be with anybody in terms of the NBA fraternity is concerned of the players that were his peers, all of a sudden now, this guy is a leader. I remember LeBron James him talking about when he first got into the league. Look, there were other guys who came up. There were there were elder statesmen of the game who said, look, you know what? You're 18 years old and you're looking to be the face of the league. There's a lot of responsibility on you. If you need any help, if you need any advice, if you need anybody to talk to, here's my number. Here's this, that, and the other. LeBron James said, thank you, but no thank you. I want to go ahead and try to do this by myself. No one else has really done what I'm trying to do. So no disrespect, but you're not, you didn't go down the same path that I went to. At the age of 18, you're not facing the same type of responsibilities and the same type of things that I'm going to be facing. So how can you really, how can you really teach me or how can you really help mentor me on this path when it's a path that you didn't take? I respect you, no doubt about it, but This is something that I'm going to have to do on my own. Now you see LeBron, he's mentoring everybody. He's mentoring guys who just came into the league. He's mentoring college players. He's mentoring guys on his son's AAU basketball team. He's mentoring everybody. Kobe was mentoring uh, the the girls on his daughter's uh, AAU uh, basketball team or youth basketball team. These guys evolve. These guys get older. And as you get older and as you get more mature and the knowledge and the acknowledgement that I don't got too many more years left. I mean, when Tom Brady is 20, 21, 22, 24, 25, 26 years old, his main deal is about winning Super Bowls. His main deal is about trying to beat Peyton Manning. His main deal is about trying to win as many games as possible. What can I do? Building my legacy, building my championship uh, ring collection, doing all of those things, being the best teammate that I can be. Because during that time, when you're just beginning your career, when you're in the prime of your career, you're not thinking about the end of your career, you're thinking about establishing yourself at first and then cementing your greatness and then building on that from the years of 22 to like, I don't know, about 34, 35, 36 years old. I mean, you're young, you're learning, you're still doing those things. That's what Tom Brady was all about. Tom Brady wasn't a guy who was 24 years old, just, just, Begging to talk about himself and begging to open up his life and telling everybody his innermost thoughts and what he thought, what his feelings are about everything. That wasn't Tom Brady. Tom Brady was more concerned about winning football games. Tom Brady was more concerned about being the best teammate and football player that he could be. That's what Tom Brady was all about. He didn't have time to go ahead and think about anything else other than how in the world am I going to beat a quarterback like Peyton Manning in a defense led by Tony Dungy with the Indianapolis Colts. That's what he was thinking about. What in the world can I do to try to win more championships? That's what Peyton, That's what um, uh, um, Tom Brady was thinking about. And that's the reason why Tom Brady never opened up about what him and his wife were doing and the problems that they were having in their marriage or the children or anything like that. That's the reason why Tom Brady never went into in-depth detail about those things. But now as a guy who's now seeing the end of his career, in making a transition transition to what's going to be happening when he retires in the next two, three, four, five years, whenever that's going to be, he's more evolved. He's more of a human being. So this nonsense about Bill Belichick all of a sudden has... Being away from town, uh, being away from Bill Belichick, is giving Tom Brady the opportunity now and the reason to sit there and say, "Hey, hey, hey, let me tell you, let tell, let me tell you all about my thoughts and my feelings." No, that's bullshit. That's absolute bullshit. It has no, that has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with Bill Belichick. It has nothing to do with the Patriots' way. Tom Brady, when when he was winning championships, if he wanted to go out and run naked with the Bulls down in, what did they run with the Bulls? In Spain? If he wanted to go ahead and do that, if he wanted to bang every porn star that was alive, if he wanted to go ahead and party all the time, party all the time, party all the time, like it's 1999, and he was still performing at the level that he was performing at, you think, what, you think Bill Belichick is going to trade him? You think Bill Belichick is going to get rid of him? Fuck no, hell no, shit no. And this was a guy, Bill Belichick, he knew. I mean, he dealt with Lawrence Taylor, for heaven's sake. So, I mean, he knows the situation in terms of you can party all night and have a vivacious, off-the-field lifestyle and still be able to perform at a high level. And as long as you can perform at a high level, hey, 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 go ahead and do your thing. Go ahead and do your god dog dog thing. So, it always it always made me laugh about Tom Brady, was just a guy itching to go ahead and reveal who he was as a human being, but no, no, Bill Belichick put the kibosh on that shit. Don't think so. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. There's one more thing, and then I want to go to a break. Tom Brady needs to quit. There was There's the other narrative that I heard. Tom Brady needs to quit because he can't play anymore. Can we kind of like have some perspective Tom, why does it either have to be from one extreme to the other? Is Tom Brady the best quarterback in the league anymore? No. But that doesn't automatically mean that he's the worst. Oh, Tom Brady needs to retire because he just doesn't have it anymore. Tom Brady just can't play anymore. Tom Brady can play. Hell yeah, fuck Tom Brady can play. Tom Brady can't play like he did when he was 26, 27, 32, 34. But shit, 43-year-old Tom Brady, can he play? Yeah, he can play. He's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers. But I tell you about this, when everything is all said and done, if the season commences at the correct time in September, they play an entire 16-game schedule, I bet you one thing in that next tier of quarterbacks, when we're talking about Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz, Matthew Stafford, Ben Roethlisberger, if he can come back from injury okay, Phillip Rivers, Tom Brady fits really nicely in that conversation, in that next tier. Tom Brady can be that guy who's on the same level, even above the same level as someone like a Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott. There's going to be weeks. There's going to be quarters. And this is all the assumption. And I just talked about people talking about the NFL like it's going to start on time. But I'm going to just use that for this argument. If the NFL starts on time, there's going to be a game or two If they play 16 games, Tampa Bay plays 16 games. There's going to be a game or two where Tom Brady is going to be the second or third best quarterback of that week. He's going to be fantastic. He's going to be awesome. He's going to throw four touchdowns, no interceptions. He's going to throw for 320 yards, complete 68 of his forty-two passing attempts, and Tampa Bay is going to look awesome. Mike Evans is going to be dancing to the streets. Chris Godwin is going to be dancing on the ceiling. You know, afterwards, the offensive line is going to be wanting to go to a go-go. Everybody, don't you want to go? Bum, bum, ba, da, da, da. Ronald Jones is going to be sitting there talking about on the microphone fiend? Yes. I mean, it's going to be party time in Tampa, baby. Two or three times. Tom Brady still had that in him in a 16-game schedule. To be that type of quarterback. Something that he did on a rather consistent basis for about a decade and a half with the, or even more with the new England Patriots. But there's going to be some gains where Tom Brady is going to be good. Average. Pretty good. Average. Good. Good. Average. I predict nine or 10 games are going to be like that, And then the other four, three or four, he's going to stink out loud. There's going to be some games, multiple games, if they play an entire season. If everything starts on time, you can blame the lack of OTAs. You can blame age. You can blame anything. You can maybe blame the offensive line. You can blame the team that they're playing against. Who knows? There's going to be situations where there's going to be weeks where Tom Brady is going to stink up the joint. There's going to be some games where Tom Brady is going to throw two or three or four interceptions. There's going to be some games where Tom Brady is going to look washed up and done. When you're 43 years old, I don't care about Alice Guerrero. I don't care about TB12 in terms of the conditioning that he does. I don't care how many green smoothies that you drink. I don't care what your diet's all about. I don't care that you don't eat tomatoes or green bell peppers because it might cause arthritis. I don't care about any of that stuff. 43 years old is 43 years, 43 years old. is 43 years old. And there's going to come a time where Tom Brady's going to look like he's 43 years old. There's going to be coming some times in certain quarters where Tom Brady's going to look like he's 53 years old. That's what it's going to be all about. And that's going to be the first season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But still, to say that he's on the same level as, say, for instance, a Derek Carr or a Jared Goff or maybe someone like a Jameis Winston. No, 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 Tom Brady. Can still plays the football. And so it's just funny to me how we take this narrative when we're discussing Tom Brady, whether he should continue to go on or not and say, well, at the end of last season, Tom Brady didn't have it. Tom Brady doesn't have it anymore. Tom Brady's not that guy anymore. Well, yeah, Tom Brady is not that guy anymore. You're right. You're absolutely right. Tom Brady of 2009, Tom Brady of 2007, Tom Brady of 2015, Tom Brady of 2017. You're right. In the year 2020, he's not that guy anymore. But guess what? If you take a look at his stat from 2019 and you're taking a look at 60% completion rate for over 4,000 yards, 24 touchdowns, and 8 interceptions, you're right. He ain't the all-world Tom Brady, but you're going to try to tell me that's the numbers of someone who's washed up? Oh, and I'm sorry, without major weapons, he still led New England, or you could say the defense led New England. But still, Tom Brady with the quarterback on a team that won the AFC East, okay, still the AFC East, but they finished 11-5. and And you take a look at a team that, I don't know, if you take a look at those five losses, maybe you could point to one bad loss in terms of the team that they played. Losing to Houston is no reason for shame. Losing to Kansas City is no reason to say that Tom Brady is washed up. Losing to the teams that New England did, with the exception, I believe, of the Miami Dolphins, does not write the obituary for Tom Brady. So what are you talking about? Again, he ain't gonna be the Tom Brady that we know and love. But is he an upgrade over Jameis Winston, especially when you're speaking about a guy who turned the ball over through interceptions or fumbles, speaking of Jameis Winston, turned the ball over 35 times in 2019? Tom Brady's Brady's an upgrade. Just on his decision-making alone, even if he was, quote-unquote, physically done. But there's going to be some times where Tom Brady's going to be looking awesome. But there's also going to be some times where he looks like one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. But still... When everything is all said and done, put him in the same tier as Matt Ryan, Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott, Carson Wentz. Those are some pretty good quarterbacks, aren't they? If you take a look at those guys, you could see games where those guys can fit into the top four, top five in the league, right? Right? Especially with, maybe we don't know about Lamar Jackson, we don't know about Aaron Rodgers, you know, we don't know about Drew Brees, there's going to be some opportunity for Tom Brady on a more consistent basis to be that guy who's a top five, top four quarterback through a stretch of the NFL season. But to say Tom Brady is washed up, Tom Brady needs to retire at age 43 because a it hurts his legacy and b because after the last season's evidence is showing that he's washed up. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Tom Brady is far from being washed up. He ain't the Tom Brady that we know and love, Hall of and one of the greatest of all time, still in his prime type of quarterback. But is Tom Brady a good, solid, good quarterback at the age of 23? At the age of 43? Going into the 2020 season for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you better believe it. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going down that I want to talk about. College football, college football coaches veering too far of their lanes. Dabo Sweeney and Mike Gundy. <laughs> I don't know. Hey, man, you know what? Dabo, Mikey G, do you? I guess, I don't know. During a teleconference with reporters on Tuesday. Oklahoma State coach Mike Gundy said that he was looking to return to the program's football facilities next month amid the coronavirus epidemic. And this is what he said. He said, in my opinion, and we have to bring our players back, test them. They're all in good shape. They're all 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22-year-olds. They're healthy. A lot of them can fight it off with their natural bodies, the antibodies, and the build that they have. Then he goes on to say that some there's some people that are asymptomatic, if that's true. Then we, have, then we sequester them. And people say that's crazy. No, it's not crazy because we need to continue the budget and run money through the state of Oklahoma. Well, fuck yeah. Come on, man. I mean, what the hell? We're losing money here. I mean, who cares about people's lives, right? I mean, hell, let's go out there. Let's let, let be as callous and as cold as Bill O'Reilly, right? I mean, the people who are getting this virus, they're on their last legs anyway. I mean, come on, this is, for the fo- this is for the football program. For those who are outraged by what Mike Gundy said, think about it this way. Man, look, Mike Gundy has been 15 and 11 and under 500 in the Big 12 so far in the last two years. We need to get these guys out there. We need to get these guys back on the football field. We need to go ahead. We need to beat Oklahoma. We need to beat Texas. We need to beat Kansas State. I mean, hell, we, we, right now we might not even be able to beat Kansas or Texas Tech. Don't you understand? The football team is such a vibrant and important part of the community. If it means people dying, then hell. What the hell? I mean, for those who have grandmothers who might be in jeopardy of contracting this disease and, and down there still Stillwater, I mean, what a greater thing. Can't you Can you think of anything greater as far as giving your life for the success of the Oklahoma State Cowboy football team? Good Lord, have mercy. Wouldn't that be something? Isn't that great? And besides, do you really want to live in a world where the economy is going to be going to shit? Because we're sitting in here making sure that we can do something in terms of saving people's lives? Because of this health crisis? Health crisis, health crisis. Let's get out there and play some football, boys. Because Dr. Mike Gundy, I mean, hell, after all, as he mentioned before, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-olds. No one that age is dying from something like that. No one's getting the coronavirus and dying from that. I mean, just take a look at all the spring breakers down in... Oh, wait a minute. That's a bad idea. Just take a look at those who... Just take a look at all those teenagers and all those young kids out there who went on and celebrated on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, that's a bad idea also. Here we go. How about all of those young lads out there who were out there partying during Mardi Gras in New Orleans? I mean, Louisiana hadn't had not seen the spike in... Oh, wait a minute. Oh, shit. All right. Well, look. Let me just go back to the lowest hanging fruit. Money needs to run through the state of Oklahoma. Come on. So, you know, hey, forget the school kids, forget the uh, teachers, and forget everybody, forget the first aid workers and everything like that. We have to make sure that our football players are going to be out there working hard. Unfucking believable. Unbelievable. 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 <laughs> Gandhi said the program will treat the coronavirus like the flu And anyone who contracts COVID-19 would be quarantined The Oklahoma State Administration weeks ago, as you might know Transitioned to online classes for the remainder of the spring semester Which runs through May 8th And they moved the graduation from May 9th to December So despite all the precautionary measures that the University of Oklahoma State is taking Concerning this virus The only one who wants to buck the trend because after all, I mean, you know, 18 to 22-year-olds who are in shape, they're immune from this. And oh, by the way, if they're showing asymptomatic uh, deals, we'll just go ahead and we'll just quarantine them real quick. See, just that simple. Just that simple. Wow. So it's amazing how you're going to be in football too. We're not talking about just a couple of people. We're talking about an entire fucking football team of guys who, oh, by the way, last time I checked was not getting paid. Practicing for a guy who's going to be making, what, $5 million, one of the highest paid employees in the state of Oklahoma? So, you know, those guys are putting their health at risk to make sure that this guy still is able to keep a job. And it's like 18 to 22 year I mean, just the tone deafness and the stupidity of that comment. Mike Gundy is not, a, is not a dumb guy. I mean, after all, he's a man. He's 50-something. I mean, he's just not some little kid. I mean, what are we talking about here? He's a man. He's 50-something. But to make such a comment like that, it's like, what are you talking about? Speaking from ignorance, speaking from lack of knowledge concerning to say that 18 to 22-year-olds are somehow less immune? Anybody can get this fucking disease, man. I mean, go on Twitter. Read the paper. Go. I, I, mean, I follow Twitter a lot since, you know, basically I ain't working. And I see these stories all the time talking about, hey, look, y'all, I'm 25 years old. I work out six days a week. I've never had any illnesses. I've never had any surgeries. My immune system is awesome. Right now I'm in the ICU unit or I just got over the coronavirus or I have the coronavirus. It's a bitch. You You see those stories time and time and time and time again. This shit don't discriminate, man. This virus is not just attacking the old. It's not it's just attacking the African American, or shall I say, black community. This ain't just attacking democratic s- cities and communities and states and regions. It ain't attacking just certain religious groups. This is indiscriminate, man. Whatever it comes in contact with, it's contacting it. It don't matter if you're old, it don't matter if you're young, it don't matter if you're gay, it don't matter if it doesn't matter do not matter if you're in shape, doesn't matter if you're out of shape, doesn't matter if your immune is awesome, doesn't matter if your immune is weak, doesn't matter. So for Mike Gundy to say this, how irresponsible is this guy? Especially when we're talking about Stillwater, Oklahoma. We ain't talking about a cosmopolitan city like Washington, D.C. or New York City or Chicago, Illinois or Los Angeles, California or San Francisco, California. We're not talking about any cities where they have a little bit more, shall I say, folks with a higher IQ than those in the Bible Belt State. Sorry, sorry. Hey, sorry. Sorry for the folks who live down there in Alabama and Missouri, or well, Missouri's not a Bible, it's not a belt, Bible Belt State. But sorry for those guys who live in, you know, the Mississippi, Louisiana, Florida, Northern Florida, Alabama. Sorry, sorry, you guys. But you know, the, the best and the brightest all aren't conjugating down there in Jacksonville, or conjugating down there in Philadelphia, Mississippi, or maybe down there in Mobile, Alabama, or maybe down there somewhere in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. The high majority of folks who are doing something in this world with a brain in their head, the the the, the majority of them ain't sitting down there, ain't residing in those areas. Not saying that, that areas, those areas are complete knuckleheads. I'm not saying that there ain't really smart people down there, but there are. But if you want to find more of them, you head up to the cities. You head up to the north. You head up to the northeast. You head up to the more major metropolitan areas. Sorry. So when you have a college football coach who holds so much sway, like a Mike Gundy does in Oklahoma, or someone like a Dabo Sweeney does in South Carolina, or someone like a Nick Saban does in Alabama, or before he left, someone like a Someone like a, um, wow, like Urban Meyer in Ohio State in Columbus, or maybe when he would live in a Joe Paterno in uh, western Pennsylvania. When you have those people of such influence and such reverence, who people rely on what you say, Nick Saban is more... Nick Saban is probably more powerful or more people believe the words and heed the words and advice and opinions of Nick Saban in the state of Alabama than probably any other person outside of their family. And I'm quite sure there's a lot of those families who probably value the words and wisdom of Nick Saban more than they do their own kinfolks. Same thing down there in Columbus, Ohio with Urban Meyer. Same thing in South Carolina with Dabo Sweeney. Same thing probably in a certain section of North Carolina with Mike Krzyzewski. Same thing with, before he left, Bob Stoops in Oklahoma. And probably the same thing in Stillwater with Mike Gundy. So come on, man, come on. Y'all going to think when you mention stupid stuff like this. Or at least once you say it, say, clarify or do something because you sound ignorant. And people are going to be, outside of probably your pastor, I'm quite sure that those guys hold just as much sway. Especially when you got someone like Dabu Sweeney who is basically just saying, "Yeah, man, I'm a man of God. I'm a man of faith." I, I mean, Dabo can give some preachers now. Dabo can preach just as well as any type of preacher that's sitting up there in in, in South Carolina, whether it be Baptist, whether it be uh, Episcopalian, whether it be Catholic, whatever we're talking about in terms of the foundations of those religions in those type of uh, in that in that area. Dabo Sweeney could probably rock and roll with his words with the best of them. So when Dabo was sitting up there talking about, hey, well, you know what, we're gonna have the 2020 season, no doubt about it. It's gonna be starting on time. Why? Because I believe in because I have faith and I'm gonna pray for it. No, no, man. No. No. He was asked again. Sweeney Dabo Sweeney was asked about the possibility of playing the 2020 college football season and if he thought it was in jeopardy due to the to the coronavirus pandemic. And he said that he believes that the season will take place as scheduled. And he pointed to his faith. And his belief that the United States is, quote, the greatest country in the world and his reasons for optimism. He said, I just believe in our country. I believe in this world. I believe in the unbelievably smart people that we have out there. But more importantly, I believe in God. And he's so much bigger than this. There's so many fearful things, but God can stamp this thing out just as quickly as it rose up. And I don't have to and I don't have any doubt that's what's going to happen. That's my belief. So more than the doctors, more than the folks who are fighting the thing, it's all about God. It's all about Jesus. It's all about, don't worry about it. All we need to do is pray. Someone needs to tell, tell Tony Fossey to stop looking and stop going ahead and trying to do what he needs to do to go ahead and find this virus. What he needs to do along with the rest of the doctors is you just go home, Tony, and just pray. Just say, God, please get rid of this t- pandemic. And if you could, could you do it in the next 48 hours so we can go ahead and get things back to normal again? And the Lord will hear your prayers. And then the Lord's going to come down and with his healing hands, he's going to somehow remove this virus from those from the sick. He's going to remove those viruses from this population. He's going to remove everything in terms of this virus going around and killing people. He's going to come down and he's going to save us, brothers and sisters. And then we're going to go back to normal. And then the college football season is going to start. And then afterwards... You know what the law's gonna do because T- Dabo Sweeney of Clemson University he said, "Lord, please remove this insidious virus." He's gonna go ahead. He's gonna give me that five-star recruit from the country, from the state of Alabama. He's gonna go ahead and give me that five-star recruit from North Carolina. He's gonna go ahead. He's gonna give me that next five-star running back from the state of Mississippi. That's what the law's gonna do. That's the law's gonna do because he, Dabo showed faith. So when Dabo gets on his hands and knees every night and he prays and he says, please, Jesus, please, Lord, my heavenly father and savior, please do what you need to do. Please give me the strength. Please see it in your wisdom to give me another top five recruiting class. Because Lord knows I have to go on them private planes when I go on vacation. Lord knows I have to stay at the richiest hotels. Lord knows when I go ahead and I recruit these players that I have to have the best of everything. That I have to have that high recruiting budget. Please, Lord, give me the strength. Please, Lord, with your love and your wisdom to go ahead and give me those things so I can go ahead and get myself another 10, 11, 12 win season and get me back into the college football playoffs. We don't even have to worry about practicing. We don't even have to worry about working hard. We don't even have to worry about any of them things because you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get on my hands and knees. I'm going to pray to the Lord that please, Lord, go ahead and please give me a winner. Please, with all your, your majesty, please give me a winner. Get me the get, me out, get out of here. Get me the hell out of here. Look, man, I'm not trying to be blasphemous, all right? I have faith. You know, I hey I say my prayers and I thank the Lord for everything I do, man. Every time I get up in the morning, thank you, Jesus. Every moment that I'm still living, every breath I take, thank you, Jesus. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity of 51 years old. And whether I'm gonna be on this earth and whether I'm gonna be in this heavenly in this body that the Lord has given me for five more minutes or five more decades, whatever happens, I am grateful, I am humble, I am thankful that the Lord has allowed me to live. This long, I, I'm thankful. I am thankful. Thank you, Jesus. But man, when you start talking about some bullshit like, oh yeah, you know what? No big deal about the coronavirus. The Lord's going to take care of it. I believe in what the doctors are saying, but I think the Lord's going to take care of it. Well, you have folks Dabu, out there in rural areas. You have folks out there in Columbus, Ohio. You have folks out there who are very religious and religious conscious and religious as far as their faith is concerned, leading them the way that do have the same type of thoughts and feelings that you do, that don't worry, the Lord is going to take care of it. So guess what? I'm not going to listen to anything that the doctors are saying. I'm not going to do social distancing. I'm not going to do what the doctors are asking me to do. You know why? Because I'm covered in the Lord's blood. No, you won't be covered in the Lord's blood, you fucking idiot. You know what happens? If you go ahead and you put yourself in high-risk situations like going to a crowded church or going where there's going to be a whole bunch of people who you don't know or even if you do know, if you go into a whole group of people, you know what you're going to be doing, you fucking morons? The, Lord of the, the blood of the Lord ain't going to be on you. Your blood is going to be on you. For like when they cut you up for the autopsy and find out that, yeah, you did die of of, of, uh, the uh, virus. Not only that, the Lord, even if the Lord's blood is going to protect you, it ain't going to protect the person that you're going to be coming in contact with. So why the hell are you going to put yourself at risk? Why the hell are you going to be putting something that the Lord created, another human being? Why are you putting something that the Lord put down on this earth? Why are you putting that in jeopardy? What you're doing is you're disrespecting Jesus. What you're doing is you're disrespecting the Lord. If you're going to go ahead and you're going to try to destroy one of the Lord's creations with your selfishness, you're you're paying solitude to the devil. You're paying homage to the devil by doing that because you are too selfish. Because you want to go back to the normal way of life, guess what you're doing? The beauty that God has created, the civilization that God has created, through your ignorance, through your stubbornness, through your selfishness, you are destroying it. So you think that you're doing God a favor by going to church in a time like this? No, you're not doing a God a favor. You're sinning. You're sinning. You need Maybe you need to go to church by yourself in an empty church to confess your sins because that's exactly what you're doing. I'm speaking to those who feel this way in terms of, well, you know, I don't have to go ahead. And abide by what's happening with uh, what they're trying, what these doctors are trying to do. Because, you know, when I go to church and everything, I'm cloaked in the Lord's blood and I pray every day and I do this, that, and the other. So it's going to make me immune to receiving this disease or falling prey or falling to my death because of this disease. No, 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 no. Let me talk to you. Let me talk to y'all for a second. I'm not going to be talking about Psalms. I'm not going to be talking about john 3 16 i'm not going to be talking about corinthians i'm not going to be telling y'all to open up the new testament or the old testament i am going to tell you this again if you're that selfish if you're that stupid if you're that ignorant if you're that stubborn that you're going to go ahead and put someone else another child of god's health at risk then you're you're not doing you're not doing what god has told us to do you're not i don't give a damn what you say i don't care how many our Father, court in heaven, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I don't care how much you, you say that stuff, man. It ain't happening. Yeah, I have I have faith. I have strong faith, but I also know that the Lord gives us free will. And my thoughts and feelings about it is, and I don't know, man. If you're atheist, you know, I'm not trying to. mean, you know, I'm not trying to convince. I'm not trying to, you know, go to Ron Reagan and try to tell him to change his. Change changes to or bill maher but the way i live my life is this man i mean you know the lord gives us free reign to do whatever we want to do and then when everything is all said and done when you know we go to our judgment and the lord takes a look and says you know how closely did you try to follow the example of what i said of how to live your life and it's either going to be yay or nay either going to be in heaven forever or you're going to be in damnation forever that's my that's my deal you don't have to buy it. You don't have to believe it. That's up to you, man. It's cool. I'm not going to denigrate you. I'm not going to downgrade you. One of the people who I love the very most. One of my best best friends for a long time. The girl that the female that I just relied on more than anything itself. She was atheist. Doesn't bother me. She was an awesome person. She was a great person. She was fantastic. Wish I still knew her. But you know, I don't hold any type of I don't hold any type of animist or anything like that. So you know. To each his own. But what I'm saying is when you start applying that knowledge or you start applying that type of stuff to, you know, you know, who cares? God is going to take care of this. It's like, come on, man. Because, again, this is Dabo Sweeney that we're talking about here, man. You are a very powerful person. Your words mean a lot. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be saying the things in terms of your faith in your Lord. And I'm praying. I'm hoping that every day that the Lord... Takes care of this, and we're gonna kick it. We're gonna kick this thing in the teeth because of our faith and our beliefs and our. I'm not saying, Dabo. I'm not saying, don't say that. You can preach and talk about your love for the Lord and equate it to this virus all you want to. But my suggestion would be put it in the terms of the Lord is giving us the strength of doing what we need to do, which is to give us the strength to be as safe as possible. To follow. The words of wisdoms from the doctors, you know, to, to, to go ahead and do the difficult thing of not being around your friends and family, of doing the difficult things of self-quarantining yourself, of doing the difficult things of keeping distance from people. Those are the hard things. Those are when we need the Lord. That's where we need the Lord's strength. That's where we need the Lord's guidance. That's where we need to get on our knees and pray to say, Lord, please give us the strength to make sure that I can go through another day to where I am doing, I am being as safe as possible so I will not get, so I will not disease or get this virus or give this virus to everybody, to anybody else. That's what we should be praying about. That's where the Lord comes in. Not just sit back, just do everything and just act like we were one, one month ago or a month and a half ago and sit around and sit there and talk about, oh, no big deal. The Lord's going to take care of it. So who gives a fuck? You guys want to go to uh you know, you guys want to get together in a group of fifty and hang out and swap spit and uh, shake hands. I mean, you know, don't worry about. It. I'm going to pray before we do all this, so we'll be fine. I mean, you know, don't don't <sighs> don't do those things. I mean, Dabo taking a plane, a private plane. Hey, man, you know, whatever. I I I don't. I'm not really going to get down on him about that. But I mean, he has. He's one of the few major college coaches who hasn't released a public service announcement announcement asking people to stay at home. Nick Saban has done it. Jane Franklin. The head coach at Penn State, he's done it. Ed Orgeron down there in Baton Rouge, he's done it. P.J. Fleck of Minnesota has done it. They've made public comments about being responsible. What about Dabo Sweeney? Instead of talking about, don't worry about it, the Lord's going to take care of it. And I'm quite sure that he could say, no, I didn't mean it this way, I didn't mean it that way. Man, that's how people are taking it, though, Dabo. You better come back then and be a little bit more detailed rather than saying, hey, you know what? That criticism, it just comes with a job. Oh, well, that's the way it goes. No, you got to clarify clarify i i hear you when you're talking about what's everybody doing getting all bent out of shape about me taking a private plane i get all that you're rich rich people do that you know i i, I sort of kind of get that i mean people are still taking planes still people are still taking flights they're being safe about it and everything but they're still taking flights so that, you know you got the money to go ahead and do it and act like a rich person go for it and well you know you worked hard you made the money why not i'm not telling you how to spend your money you know, Telling you what to do, I don't. That's your business. But I would say just be a little bit more responsible in terms of. You know, a lot of people, you know, who are following the words that you say. So let's just please be a little bit more careful, Dabo, when you're speaking about the Lord's way in terms of this virus. Please, again, a little bit more detail, and remember the impact that you'll have on others who are going to be hearing that message. <music> Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us, sometimes I like doing my preacher stuff, you know, sometimes I like uh, going preacher mode on folks, but uh, yeah, let me end with this, the NBA Hall of Fame inductees, Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, man, you're talking about a solid one, two, three punch, man, the best Hall of Fame class in in history in terms of the NBA is concerned or just the basketball hall of fame. If you take a look at the accomplishments of those three guys, Kobe, Tim, KG, they're combined accomplishments. You're talking about eleven championships, forty eight all star game appearances, four league MVPs, thirty nine all NBA teams, four Olympic gold medals, four Olympic gold medals. Damn, damn, damn. You're talking about two guys in Kobe and Duncan, two of the greatest players of their generation. I think that Tim Duncan was the best player of his generation, Kobe included in that discussion, Shaq included in that discussion, I think that uh, Kobe, I'm going to you, but I think that Tim Duncan, I think Tim Duncan seriously is probably, you would have to say, I would probably have to say when everything is all said and done, when you're talking about the names, calling the names in terms of the VIP of the all-time greats, Tim Duncan had to be number four, number five. I mean, maybe you get Jordan, you get LeBron, you get Magic, you get Bill Russell, you get Will Chamberlain. You, I mean, and then Tim Duncan somewhere in that mix. I mean, either two or six somewhere around there. Man, that's what Tim Duncan. the Guy was unbelievable. The most, I think he's the most versatile front court player of all time. If you think take a look at big men, Tim Duncan could play center. Tim Duncan could play power forward. Tim Duncan will say that he's a power forward, but Tim Duncan. When well, he wasn't playing with Roch, no, just Rosho Nasterovich and, and playing with uh, David Robinson, he was a power forward. Then when they transitioned and they went with the squad that was with Monty Ginobili and Tony Parker and such, he was a center. He was a center. And he played each. I mean, you could say if, if he was a center, where would you put him as a center? If you just labeled him as a center, okay, he might not be Wilt. He might not be Kareem. Oh, oh my goodness. What am I talking about? When, you, when we're talking about greatest of all times, I'm sorry, Jordan Kareem LeBron, geez, I'm sorry, Jordan, Kareem, LeBron, Chamberlain, Russell, Chamberlain, Tim Duncan, somewhere around there, but you get my drift. But if you're talking about all-time great centers, let's just take, for instance, Tim Duncan, if he just said, you know what? Categorize me as a center and center only because in his long career, he played a lot of those as a a center, especially on the defensive front. You have Kareem, you have Wilt, you have Bill, Bill Russell, Bill Walton didn't play long enough. Bob Lanier, no. Hakeem Olajuwon, Moses Malone, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson. I mean, you could put, at that eight or nine, talk about eight or nine of the best centers who's ever played the game. If you wanted to categorize Tim Duncan as just a center, what would he be? Number four, number five, number six, somewhere around there? I mean, he'd probably be in that same discussion as David Robinson, Patrick Ewing, Moses Malone, somewhere around there. I mean, you know, no one's going to touch Kareem just from a straight center position. No one's going to touch Kareem. No one's going to touch Bill Russell. No one's going to touch Will Chamberlain. Those three are the, the Mount Rushmore in terms of the greatest centers who's ever played the game. I don't know anybody coming around who's going to approach those guys' uh, statistics and impact and brilliance and greatness. But after those three, when I mean, you start putting in guys like Akeem Olajuwon and and, and Moses Malone and and all these other guys, man, Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, you're going to have to put Tim Duncan right in that second tier if you're just going to categorize him as just a center and center only. And then when you're talking about power forwards, he's the greatest power forward that's ever lived. I don't care about Jerry Lucas. I don't care about Bob Pettit. I don't care about Carl Malone. I don't care about Kevin McHale. I don't care about, I mean, Barkley was more of a forward, more than just a Forward, power forward, small forward. He was just a, he was just a forward, really, if you really think about it. But just in terms of the versatility, I mean Tim Duncan was a guy who could be dominant as a center and dominant as a power forward. So that's why I'm talking about the versatility. If you take a look at guys who were just back to the basket players, both on offense and on defense, Tim Duncan had to be the greatest, most versatile front court player that's ever played. He's won five titles. He won five titles with the San Antonio Spurs, three finals MVPs, two regular season MVPs. He made the all-star game 15 times, was on the all-defensive first team eight times, made the all-NBA team 15 times. He's one of five players in NBA history to score at least 26,000 points and collect at least 15,000 rebounds. The guy was fucking unbelievable. I mean, and he did it all basically in a market, if you really think about it, of all the great players, and he stayed with one organization the whole time whether that's awesome or fantastic that just adds the wow factor to everything but if you think about it if you take a look at all the great basketball players who have played you're taking a look at maybe tim duncan and him staying in san antonio for as long as he did i mean wilt made his mark in philadelphia then san francisco in los angeles bill russell made his mark in boston kareem abdul jabbar made his mark in in los angeles i mean many people forget how unbelievable he was his first couple of years with the Milwaukee Bucks before dealing with that group of cult leaders known as the Nation of Islam and some nonsense that he got hooked up there in Milwaukee and the fact that he wanted to get out of the cold in Milwaukee that he suggested either going to New York, D.C., or L.A. They sent him out to L.A. But for the majority of his career and his greatness, Kareem was a guy who played in, in Los Angeles with the Los Angeles Lakers. He's much more identified as a Laker. Than he is with the Milwaukee Bucks. The Moses Malone he played in Houston, but then he you know he made his bones and got famous basically with the Philadelphia 76ers. Shaquille O'Neal started out in a small pond like Orlando, and then he moved and got his start with the uh, start for real greatness with the Los Angeles Lakers. So Tim Duncan is really that first super superstar who stayed in a small market. Now, back in the days where, you know, George in the original super giant big man and franchise guy of the league, he was in Minneapolis, but at that time there was no free agency, so he really couldn't move anywhere anyway. But you, you take a look at all the great players. I mean, they've even played in L.A., they played in Chicago, they played in a big market. Tim Duncan was the first guy, or Tim Duncan was the guy who – established his legacy, established a dynasty, San Antonio, with him being the foundation in a market size or in a market like San Antonio. He didn't do it in Los Angeles. He didn't do it with the Knicks. He didn't do it, you know, in a, in a major market. So in, in that sense, it's pretty good. That's really good, in fact. Kobe Bryant. I mean, we're talking about a guy, what, when everything is all said and done, God rest his soul, him and his uh, beautiful daughter, Gigi, We're talking about a guy with the second greatest point guard behind MJ of all time, top 12 player all time, fourth leading scorer of all time, a guy who's also was a really good defensive player many years for multiple years, five-time NBA champion, one MVP, two MVP finals. In fact, Kobe, really, there were a couple of years. I don't know. Steve Nash won a couple of MVPs where it was kind of like, you could easily say that the two years consecutive back-to-back that Steve Nash won his MVPs, that the first one should have gone to Kobe and the second one should have gone to Shaq, but I digress. But we're talking about one MVP. He easily could have won another two or three, but five-time champion, NBA champion, two-time finals MVP. He was a one-time league MVP. He was an 18-time All-Star, a four-time All-Star MVP, led the league in scoring twice, including averaging, what, 35 and a half points, In 2005-06, and again, as I mentioned before, fourth on the team, fourth in the league's all-time scoring list. Probably, probably the closest thing to Jordan, and I don't even know if that's really a compliment to say that. But if you're taking a look at a parallel in terms of the type of player Jordan was, or the next one in the chain of a Jordan type of player, it wasn't Vince Carter, it wasn't Tracy McGrady, it wasn't Harold Miner, it wasn't any of those guys. It was Kobe Bryant. If you're talking about his competitiveness, you're talking about his ability to score the basketball, his ability to evolve as a basketball player, his his will to win, the type of fear that he brought on the offensive side of the court when he got the ball, I mean, his clutch shooting performances. You would have to say that uh, the closest thing to MJ was KB. And I remember it, it was funny because, as I mentioned before, speaking about Tom Brady finally finding himself just through evolution just through getting older just through maturing and everything and with Kobe Bryant if you remember man Kobe had a pretty at the beginning sort of kind of difficult time now I know there's probably those in Albuquerque New Mexico or maybe in LA or Bakersfield California or something like that who was always a big huge Kobe fan but There was a time, man, where Kobe was a polarizing figure in terms of uh, him as a basketball player. No one thought that he was a bad basketball player, not a talented basketball player, nothing like that. But just in terms of he rubbed people the wrong way because he wanted to be so much like MJ. And just in terms of his mannerisms, I was an Allen Iverson guy myself. I mean, being from Georgetown University, Allen Iverson was always going to be my guy against Kobe and the one thing that I always used to say about Allen Iverson and one of the things that I always had against Kobe was the fact that love him or hate him Allen Iverson was gonna give you who he was. He wasn't going to play a role. He wasn't gonna try to mimic anybody He wasn't gonna try to act like anybody. He wasn't gonna try to be like his idols or his role models He was gonna be Allen Iverson for good or bad was gonna be Allen Iverson. He was gonna keep it 100 He was gonna keep it real and I always loved him for it. He was going to play as hard as anybody can. But if you thought that he was a straw, a thug, if you thought he was street, all these type of things, then basically he said, "Fuck you! I don't give a fuck. I'm going to be me. I'm going to keep the same company that I kept when I was a, when I was a guy growing up. Those who stood with me. But when I was in when I was in jail and all those type of things, I was, I'm, I'm loyal. This, that, and the other. Made some mistakes in that regard. But the one thing I loved about AI that he was always keeping it 100. And with Kobe. It was just like, this guy is just so obvious that he's trying to be Jordan in terms of his mannerisms, the way he talks, the way he acts, all of those things. It's like he's just trying to be a Jordan clone. And it took him years to finally get over that to the point where Kobe was the type of guy, was was the guy who was getting backlash from the Jordan heirs, from the Jordan lovers, from the Jordan sheep. You know what I mean? I mean, we always think that LeBron with the guy who got all of the shit thrown on him because every time he did something great, the Jordan errors the Jordan losers would have to jump up there and try to denigrate what he did by saying, no, 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 he's not Jordan, he's not Jordan, he's not Jordan. There was a long time, man, where it was like they were doing that shit to Kobe because Kobe was getting to the point where the discussion was starting to happen in terms of, man, you know what? Could Kobe... Possibly with MJ No 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 He can't do this He can't do that He raped this girl He couldn't get along He got he threw Shaq out of town That was really Shaq's team when he won the first three championships No 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 I mean it came back to all of that nonsense And it got I remember near the end where Kobe finally said Look I don't want to be Michael Jordan I don't want no part of Michael Jordan Michael Jordan is the greatest I'm just gonna be Kobe Bryant I'm just gonna do my thing and I'm just gonna be the best Kobe Bryant I can be, I don't want any part of the legacy of Michael Jordan, nothing, nothing please, just back the fuck off leave me the fuck alone finally it got to that point, but um, the closest thing I think to MJ, as a compliment is Kobe, and it's not by much, really, it's not by much, and when you speak about Kevin Garnett, man, I tell you what he only won one championship with the Boston Celtics 15 time all star 9 time all defensive selection he averaged at least 20 points nine times. Won the defensive player of the year in 2008, the year that the Celtics won the championship. He led the league in rebounding four times. He's 10th all-time in the on the rebounding list. I mean, hey, you know what, man? KG. KG was no joke. Now, he lingered a long time in Minnesota. And I remember this was a guy who was facing criticism in terms of, I mean, everybody here faced criticism, probably except for Tim Duncan, who won his second year in the league and then just continued to be great. But Kevin Garnett was the guy where it was like, why is this guy keep losing in the first round? You remember the first incarnation that he had when he was playing with Stephon Marbury and Tom Gugliotta. And then there was a situation where Marbury wanted to be the man and he didn't want to play in Minnesota. So he wanted to move closer to his hometown and play. And that's when they traded him to the New Jersey Nets, even on the offseason season. He lived in Atlanta <clears throat> But uh, there was a a time there where Kevin Garnett went years and years and years where he would always lose in the first round, and he would always lose to a team that was better than his. So it wasn't a situation where the expectations going into that series was Minnesota's supposed to win. No, every time that the Minnesota Timberwolves during that long period was competing for the playoffs or starting their first-round playoffs against a team, they were always the underdog. They just never pulled off any upsets because they didn't have the talent around KG to get it done really in his prime, really in his athletic prime. And I remember a couple of times he lost to uh, Dirk Nowitzki. And when they were talking about and trying to differentiate who was better, Dirk or Kevin uh, Garnett, they would always point to the fact that, well, they've met in the playoffs X amount of times. It seems that Dirk Nowitzki is always beating him and Dirk Nowitzki has gone farther in the playoffs, even though there was the debacle for Dirk, where they lost, what was 2005 or some shit like that, where Avery Johnson was the coach, and Dallas was the number one seed, and they lost to uh, the Golden State Warriors with Baron Davis and Steven Jackson, Don Nelson at the head coach and such, but basically, Kevin Garnett, really until he got to the Boston Celtics, was labeled a guy who was a little bit sketchy in terms of whether he could win an NBA championship, and then he turned it on big time. And he was one of the forefathers in terms of the 6'10", 6'11", guy who could go out in the, on the perimeter. He could play the small forward position. He could shoot the J. He could face up, jab, step, and take you off the dribble, maybe pull up from about 15 to 18 feet. He was a guy who could play with the bas- to the basket, back to the basket. Kevin McHale did a glorious thing with him and teaching him a whole lot of low post moves when he was the general manager of the Timberwolves during that time. And, uh, Kevin Garnett, I think, is a little bit underrated because really his prime prime, as far as his athleticism is concerned and doing stuff with the basketball and doing stuff as far as his individual greatness was kind of wasted because he played in Minnesota and they never really put a team around him to compete for a championship. The one time that they did when they were in Minnesota where they had Sam Cassell and Latrell Sprewell, and I think Garnett won the League MVP that year. They lost to the um, they lost to the Los Angeles Lakers. But other than that, there were some lean years in Minnesota again until Kevin McHale did his boy Danny Age a, a solid and traded Kevin Garnett to the Boston Celtics, where he had a much more productive winning time with the uh, with the the uh, Boston Celtics. But yeah, man, it was that, this is a one hell of a graduating class, one hell of a Hall of Fame class. And you could talk about some of the greatest Hall of Fame uh, classes of all time. You could talk about the one in 2018 where you had Jason Kidd, Steve Nash, Ray Allen, Grant Hill, Mo Cheeks, Charlie Scott, Dino Raja. The 2010 class was strong with Karl Malone and Scottie Pippen and Gus Johnson and Dennis Johnson. The class of 1980, of course, with Jerry Lucas and Jerry West and the big O Oscar Robertson. The class of 2008 of Akeem Olajuwon. My main man, Patrick Ewing. My main, main man, A.D. Adrian Dantley from DeMatha High School. And Pat Riley at the coach. And, of course, what many people consider the greatest class of all time with Michael Jordan, David Robinson, John Stockton, Jerry Sloan. If you take a look at the three main Players inducted into those Hall of Fames and then put them up against Kobe, KG, and Tim Timmy D. You would have to say that as far as the top three, the headliners, the stars of the Hall of Fame class, no one is better. Yeah, Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan, but really, when you take a look at David Robinson and John Stockton, Kobe, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, they're better than those two. Same thing with what Patrick Ewing, Adrian Dantley. They're better than those two. Jerry Lucas, Oscar. Well, Oscar Robertson was awesome, but maybe that maybe that might be the only thing that can compare when you're speaking about the class, this class that's going in. And of course, with Kobe, not gonna be there because right now he's with the Lord with his with his beautiful daughter, that there's gonna be some, there's gonna be even more emotion uh, for that. So it's gonna be something to where I don't even know. I mean, maybe that's something to wear. hey, you know what, because what we're doing right now, we're not going to really have the proper way to induct them because of what's going on with the coronavirus where people can't be meeting in large groups or, or, or anything like that. I say, man, hold off on that because that deserves, that deserves its 100%. Not watered down, not flexible, not, not, not flexing and mixing and matching to make sure. No, no, no. Make sure that we get it in on time. No, 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 no. Even if, even if you have to wait a year or whatever. Even if on a one weekend you, or on a Friday night you announce or you have the Hall of Fame induction for one class and then that Saturday night, the next night you have it for the 2020 class. Do what you need to do. But that thing needs to be done correctly. That thing needs to be done right because that is a class that I don't even, I don't know. I have no idea three players like that are going to be going in at the same time. I mean, maybe it would have rivaled if Larry Bird and Magic Johnson went in together, but that didn't happen. But, uh, you know, that that is an awesome, awesome class. All right. All right. All righty, righty, righty. I am, whew, I am out of here. I'm going to just sit back and relax and do some things and do all this kind of good stuff. I want to thank you for listening to the program. I want to make sure again, I hope that everybody is safe. And doing what they need to do. It's been two and a half hours. And I'm going to party like it's 1999. It's time for me to do my aerobics. What type of aerobics? I'm going to be doing 30 minutes of dancing. i got my Four Tops music. I've got my Prince music. I've got my Michael Jackson music. Anything that's going to make me shake and groove and move and do all that type of thing. I'm not talking about jumping around. I'm not, not talking about doing the hammer. But I'm just talking about moving. Getting the heart rate up. Practicing some dance moves. And having some good times. So with that being said. Music!